everybody was just starving there. People were being eaten as they were dying by flies and rats. Do you imagine witnessing that? No. It's one thing to imagine that. It's another thing to actually witness that as you're escaping. Like she did. What's cooking, everybody? If you are on YouTube right now, please hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, and thank you as always for checking out the channel. To everyone who is listening on Apple or Spotify, thank you for checking out the show there. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple, hit that follow button on Spotify, and I look forward to seeing you guys again for future episodes. Now, I am joined in the bunker today by Mr. Jack O'Hara. Jack is, among other things, the host of the O Show podcast out in Arizona, and not for nothing, the guy's like 400 and some episodes deep in this. He's been doing it for a few years, does a great job. I had a chance to go on it a few weeks ago, and so he was coming through the East Coast to visit, as he's originally from New Jersey, and we brought him through for a podcast here in the bunker. What I'll say is that for all of you who are who have been a fan of this show for a while— this is a classic trend of fire podcast. This was just a good old fashioned three hour philosophical discussion, shooting the shit about a whole bunch of different shit. And I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed having Jack through here. And I hope you guys enjoy it as well. That said, you know what it is. I'm Julian Dory, and this is Trend Fire. Let's go. This is one of the great questions in our culture. Where is the news? Everyone understands this, but few seem to do it. If you don't like the status quo, start asking questions. One of his quotes, and again, this is a basic quote, but he gets credit for it. Um, I'd rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not. And I think that's you know a different route than what we were talking. Yeah, I it's a general that, yeah. quote, but if what, you look it up, the- he gets credit for it. I'd okay. rather be hated for who I am than loved for who I am not. And that's what I would have written on this, but it would have been way too small. I don't think the camera would have seen it, so I wanted to explain it. Um, again, the best songwriter of his generation, completely misunderstood by a wide variety of the audience. You know, and granted. Um, he took his own life, and everybody sees that, like, okay, and you you definitely see it, and you hear it in his voice, and you see it in his lyrics, you know, like, he was tortured. After. But, but at the same, t- yeah, after, exactly. And everybody sees it now, is like, oh my god, like, he was one of the best ever, but in his time, was he appreciated? Yes. You know, Nirvana was the number one band, I think, in the world at that point in 1991, like, right there with Michael Jackson when it came to the top oh, of the yeah. charts. Uh, but I don't think he got the respect he deserved in that sense of, oh, he's just a crazy person. We were talking about Kanye before we came on here, you know, like people (laughs) misinterprets him for being just a crazy son of a bitch, you know, but like, you don't know what makes him tick. And obviously what makes him tick is him being true to himself because that's the reason he got to where he was. You know, he was finally acknowledged as someone who beats or his heart beats to the what's that saying? I'm gonna mess it up. He he beats to his own drum, mm. you know. Um, and that sense of I know you don't like this word authenticity because if yeah. you say it on the air, it's like ah, oh, you yeah. don't mean it. Yeah. But you know, staying true to yourself, like you and you alone are the only version of you. 
right? And that's kind of a broad way to say it, but you, your own identity is shaped by you believing in yourself, your own values, your own opinions, you know, your own takes, as opposed to saying, yeah, that's, you know, like, and I've heard you have conversations, you know, the one with Taylor Ringle that you had on here talking about, you know, people in the comments section saying like, yeah, that sucked. And then someone's just like, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's awful because people are too afraid to give their own opinions, their own takes, their own thoughts, their own values because of what other people might say or think of them. Even people that don't necessarily care what other people think of them, they're thinking like, this isn't going to help me. This isn't going to help my brand. People on the other end also take it too seriously though too, like content creators. Yeah. They, they, they don't realize it's usually a reflection on that person or sometimes they're literally like just kidding and sideswiping, which is also kind of a reflection on them. But I, I've never... I've never totally understood why people get so up in arms about that. I generally find it funny and usually treat it as such. Yeah. If someone attacks like the brand, quote unquote, of the show, like tries to say it's a scripted podcast or something publicly, I make sure I respond publicly to that right. and, you know, burn the forest down to make sure they understand that's not the case. But usually when it comes to like opinions or takes, I'm like, hey, man, what's your take? You know? Put it here. Or like sometimes if they're clearly a lost cause, I'll send them hearts. Like I don't know that I would have had that presence of mind to think of it that way if I were 20. No. I, 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 In fact, I'll go so far as to say I absolutely would not have. I would have taken it also personally. So when I see some of these kids blowing up when they're 15, 16, 17, I empathize with that heavy because like – I can't imagine having all those hormones going through my brain and seeing these random people on the internet tell me I'm the second coming of Hitler, you know, or whatever it is they say, like ridiculous yeah. things. It It's unnatural. It's hard to deal with. But I think as time goes on and the older you get, you, you kind of realize like, who the fuck is – there's literally some guy like penis dog 420. <laughs> like, like who is this person behind this – symbol that it, that it has a blank account and is making these comments and by the way penis dog 420 i don't know if you've been nasty on there i just remember that name because it was fucking wild but like people you have to think about where it comes from and then by the way it's also it's sometimes it's not even a real person <laughs> like it's it's a bot account so i don't know i i keep it in perspective but it's it's a very weird thing when you have an audience you can't see. Speaking to some of these people who have had that attention. Just and, hide and behind get, yeah. their accounts. Yeah, and they get bothered by it, and they're not thinking of it that way. They're not thinking, this is just someone hiding behind their account, man. And that's – I wish they would. I wish the celebrities would because they their life would be a lot less stressful if they did. I think there's a lot of celebrities out there that have taken that into account and be like, it's what – like, I never look at the comments. But, like, every now and then, like, you'll hear, like, comedians be like, all right, let's listen to some of the feedback. And then, you know, a Immediately, you just get triggered. Just like, oh, someone doesn't like my stuff. Like, oh, that really hit home. Just the way they said it, you know. But like, I, I, I don't understand what makes people think that way. To think just like, like I'm never on. Like, I, you, do you have a Twitter account? I do. Yeah. Do you actually go after people or like tweet on a daily basis? Like, what's going on in your my life? My Twitter or? account, I like, have kept pretty private. I just kind of like I'm on there doing whatever. But yeah, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm not a shit talker on Twitter. I'll put some opinions out. A lot of opinions I have, I don't put them out on Twitter. It's just whatever. I I let it I let it simmer. But I'm not you get me. My name is on my Twitter. I'll tell you what I think and if I want to come at something like it's there in the open publicly. Yeah. That's that's really what and then I'll engage in the conversation. But I'm not I mean I see what people do on Twitter. I don't do any of that shit. The worst is the subtweeters. Yeah. 
yeah. It's... Wish it would have been different. Like, what? Yeah. Twitter is a very weird beast. It has a lot of... T- Twitter is the place where I think sometimes you can actually learn the most about people if they actually have their name on the account <laughs> because they there's enough of a separation from the imagery of society that they feel comfortable to say things that maybe they wouldn't even say on Facebook yeah. or Instagram or or tic- definitely TikTok or something like that. And so there's good and bad to come with that. But I think a huge downside of Twitter is the echo chambers that the algorithm pushes you into. Because you think about it, people have 280 characters to put a thought out. There's threads, but most people read the first or second of the thread, don't read the rest. So they're reading the quickest bites that want to get across context slash a story with an opinion and a judgment Yeah, in 280 characters. Now take that times 100 different people who are thinking along the opinion, the final opinion of whatever that one example tweet there is. And now you read a hundred of them from all these other people. And now add that every day, repetition, repetition, repetition. You want to talk about being pushed into believing things? Holy shit, man. There's no better model than that. It's better. It's, it, it is even better than like a visual like TikTok and Instagram because you actually have to invest in both seeing and hearing and wa- and like literally watching how someone does does it versus just reading a few quick words and scrolling. Oh yeah, 100%. And it, and I think that comes with inexperience too. Cuz if someone just looks at that be like, "Oh, that's what it must be." You know, like people don't see the lies and the manip- manipulation behind it and everything that goes into doing something like that, right? 100%. I I think the lack the general lack of self-awareness of the social media user including myself at various points in my life for a long time i would say is rampant yeah i mean i don't have a percentage for you but it's it's in the 90s it's most people and it's not very often it's not at all their intention it's just how it turns out you know one of the things i do and and i'm very grateful to do a podcast like this where I talk with all different people. So I, I'm literally forced professionally to stay here. And I'm sure you can relate to yeah. that. You got to stay up kind of above the noise. But one of the things I do is I make sure I go down the rabbit hole of the left and the right. And I'll do it back to back even. And what's amazing is what I mean by that is I'll go find certain trending tags that are more associated with one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. And I will read through 100, 200 tweets just to see and then read the comment, read the replies and see what people are thinking. And every time I step back and whenever it's something extreme like that with very few, if any, exceptions, whatever the opinion is, I disagree with because I don't believe in extremes. So I think that whatever they're saying is most likely wrong as I go into it. They're just adrenaline junkies, honestly. Yes. Yes. It's kind of weird, right? It's very weird. Oh, it's very weird. Like, how did you get to that point? Like, it's one thing to have beliefs. I respect that. You know, like, I respect everyone's beliefs and their thoughts and their opinions on what they think is right or wrong. But to be an extremist and actually go out and threaten people, like, why? <sighs> That's a question I ask a lot. It's a question, and, and I don't, I don't think like, there's I have definitely a great an answer. insecurity there. Like, there's oh, definitely. Yeah. There's some obvious points like that. Yes. Yes. Like everyone has insecurities, right? Not that we would admit it 
you know, yes, publicly all the time. You have insecurities. I know I have insecurities. Everybody has insecurities. But like to get to that point of like I'm going to go out of my way to threaten you because you don't believe in what I believe in. Like you're stupid. You're wrong. I'm right. It's nonsensical. The thing is, when I will finish down a rabbit hole of one of them. And I know my opinion on the issue. Yeah. I then think about it and I say, okay, assuming I didn't have an opinion or didn't have a good evidence back opinion before I read that. And assuming I went into it without realizing I was reading an extreme without knowingly like I am going to go because it's a plan for me. I'm going to go read what the right has to say. I'm going to go read what the left has to say. When I take all that apart and then ask myself at the end of whatever it is I was going through, ask myself, do I buy the arguments that were just made? The answer is almost always more yes than no. Really? Oh, yeah. Because what happens is it's like anything else. It's like a repetition. You read it over and over. Things can sound better and better as you go. And you can then start to believe it. Now, I step back out and I go, okay, well, that was all horseshit, right? <laughs> but it, in thinking about it at the first point, like unbiased guy, if I had gone in there unknowingly, read it, would I kind of buy this? Yeah, I would. And it goes to show you I can read back to back the opposite opinions on something. And ha like I'll do it with the vaccines all the time now. I can read the left and the right on vaccines and think that you are the dumbest person ever if you don't get it or you are the dumbest person ever if you get it when I'm done reading them. Yeah. Because the way they – and they – the other thing is there's a lot of fake data put in there there's a lot of fake bullshit to bolster your argument whether you are going to be proven right or wrong by history aside i don't know i'm saying they will back up things just to make their case and they will use anecdotes and you're not thinking like oh i mean i am but for many parts of my life i never thought like oh this is an anecdote you know like yep. you, you remember what was the one because everyone was fighting over when, when Trump joined the campaign in 2016 or in 2015 and, and made immigration a big thing. They were fighting over that, and that's still obviously like this whole argument. But there was one case. This is just a really good example. There was like a woman who was killed, I want to say in San Francisco, which was like a sanctuary city. In 2016? No, she had been killed in like 2013, 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. Hmm. And they, my point is, I'll, I'll find out what it was, but people could look it up. They used it in every immigration argument about why we can't have immigration. Because look what they did to Megan or whoever she was. It's like you hear that and you're like, oh my god, this is a disaster. They're all bad. Then you think about it and you're like, okay, not good that whoever did that was let in here. We can all agree with that. Maybe the system needs some fixing because of that. But does that mean that they're all like that? No. no. You know what I mean? Like it's good and it's bad. And so what you end up hearing is people are like, we, need, we, we can't have any of it. We're scared of it. Or we need all of them. They're all good people. They want, they, they want to be here in America. And they use those little anecdotes instead of some pragmatism along with some good old human emotion, which you need some of. They don't combine those two. It's, it's just one or the other. And things like Twitter to me, Totally reinforce that. It's the best example, yep. in my opinion. Uh, 100%. And I think it's more human emotion than anything else, at least from what I've seen. You know, like if you asked me before, like, oh, what's going on in the world today? I'm like, I have no idea. I don't have cable. I don't, I don't listen to the news. Like, I will go into an argument like that completely unbiased. 
You know, like I don't lean right, I don't lean left. I really don't know much about politics to begin with. You know, like I'm just a kid in a candy store. I'm just happy to be here, right? You're just watching all of this go down. And you were right. You know, you take bits and pieces. You're like, oh, I agree with that. I kind of disagree with that. But then you take a step back and you're just like, ah, is it all crazy? Like, are people, like, is this all bullshit? I don't know. So that's why it's just easier to stay out of it all altogether, right? It is easier. And it's kind of nice, too, when you do it. And that's one of those it's things weird, that's though. easier, and it's okay. You know, it's, some people be like, you know, you got to choose your hard, right? Like, that's something that's... I'm okay not knowing that. I'm okay you not choose having... choose your what? Your hard. You ever, you know, hear that analogy? You just like, use some good phrases, though. Uh, See, so you know, choose your hard. Like, if you... Like, going to the gym's hard. Being out of shape, though, and just feeling like shit all the time, mm. that's hard, too. Choose your hard. Mm. Right? Going on a mile jog, that could be hard if you don't run. But it's also hard just sitting there like that's another gym excuse. How about, you know, going out after a job, you know, like you leaving a comfortable job to pursue your passions must have been hard at first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But Absolutely. at the same time, it was hard mentally staying there because you knew you weren't getting the most out of everything that you wanted in your life. You thought there was more. I, I think it's uh, first of all, I love that phrase. I'm going to that's another one I'm going to use. That's great. But I think it's. It needs to be way more nuanced with politics because with politics, it's like your team A or your team B. And that's what they tell you you have to be. And that is such a ridiculous thing. I, I had a uh, – because last year over – you know, in COVID, everybody locked in their homes, especially here in the tri-state area. You and know. you're – I think we said this, but you're out in Arizona. I was and I had to come home because I was a senior at school and they were kicking everybody out. My plan was to stay there and then they started closing down all of these restaurants and I'm like, I got to eat. So I went home for the summer, lived at my parents and uh, to make money, you know, you know, doing the podcast is one thing. And I think that time, you know, you used it wisely. A lot of other people used it wisely to create, not create content, but again, like find what makes you tick again. Like we were saying before, you know, like figure out who you are, you know, you're only going to get better out of this. Like you're not going to get better sitting here watching Netflix for six months. No, you're not. Um, but at one point, I started doing like online surveys just to make some extra cash, right? You were doing online surveys? It's easy. It's like give your opinion and they'll give you $125 for like two hours of your time, like a two-hour Zoom call. Where, where, do, you, where do you do that? You know, there's it, ones like hivemind.com. Like there's all of these different sites. Like if you look up online surveys for money, they'll hook you up. Just make accounts. So you get like a couple hours, you get 125 bucks. Yeah. I mean – for you know, for the most part, you might get rejected. Be like, oh, this doesn't suit you. Try some other survey. Like it has to like fit. Like okay, between eighteen and twenty five years old, mm. lives in this part of the country. Uh, you have relatives that work in hospice, pharmaceuticals, whatever. Like whatever fits the bill for their survey. What feedback they're looking to get. Mm. And almost every single time I set up a call to try and you know apply for one of these um, calls was, are you a Democrat? Or are you Republican? <laughs> and I'm always like, you know, I really don't really mess with politics i never really have like i don't i'm pretty neutral like i agree with some things here i agree with some things there and they're like but you know if you, if you had to pick one <laughs> democrat or republican i'm the like asteroid well if, that's what i'm if thinking you had, if i had to choose like i i guess i'd say i'd lean republican and there's like Oh, okay, Republican, you know? <laughs> it's like, did I say something wrong? Like, I told you I don't lean either way. What? You know, it's almost like 
a wrong thing to say. Side note, why did we do that? Like, why has society done that? It's because it, I see that all the time from like people I know who are not on this podcast necessarily, right. but like when I'm talking with them, although I've seen it a couple times on this podcast too, where they're like, well, I lean right, like, like a little. And I'm like, that's, that's fine. Yeah. I, I have Mike Spear on this podcast. Like you can say whatever the fuck you want, but they're like afraid to say it. And for whatever reason, we've created this narrative in society and it makes you have to like defend the right rather than the left. Cause like the left has kind of the control of the narrative, like in media, it's, it's this other narrative that God forbid you lean a little bit to the right. That's like a quiet thing. You gotta be quiet. About you're that. a menace. You you're a menace. You can't say that. That's fucking insane. That's insane. Because by the way, still, even today, I'm convinced the majority of people, the majority of people are in that middle, like, 40 to 50%, right? So if it's 0 to 100, right to left, left to right, they're in that, say, 30 to 70 area. And those like are all the people who don't have Twitter accounts. That's the They're other kind problem. of off the grid. They're not speaking up. That's the other problem. That's because they're humble. <laughs> So it's kind of a double-edged sword when you think about it. Like, they're good people, but at the same time, like, we could really use your voice in this situation. Like, if we had a president that, like, literally just brought both parties together and actually worked on bringing the country and the people together as one collective unit the way it was intended to be, just imagine where we'd be. It's literally just, like you were saying, side A, side B. You know, it's like the Yankees and the Red Sox, the Devils and the Islanders, the Cowboys and the Eagles, mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. You know, like you're on a team and our ambition is to show, show how we're the better team, right? Every example that you're listing off right there, I agree with. And it seems like it's, it should be common sense. The problem is profitability. And it's not like, you know, you go right to like, corporations with shit like that corporations are like a part of the whole political picture of course they pay off everything but i'm saying from a political standpoint a happy society is not a profitable society these parties and these forms of thought of which it has become two as the sole choice they exist on the idea that they can create a common enemy in one other side that they can point to. And so what they do is they convince all of us as a collective, the two of them, they convince all of us that we are different along certain lines so that we can stare at each other, hate each other for those things, and ignore all the problems that continue to boil down our way from the top, which is them. Yep. And in the process, when I tell you about this stuff every week, I'm trying to help you. You know, you, you can listen or not, but I'm trying to add years to your life. I'm trying to add more energy to your day. I'm trying to add more happiness into your vibe. That's all. Just, just a good Samaritan friend, neighbor, whatever the hell you want to call me. Looking out for you. Trying to give you all those things. And of course, I'm talking about the 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover, which you can use the link in my description along with the code TRENDIFIER at checkout. That's T-R-E-N-D-I-F-I-E-R to get $100 off to get your own and change the way you sleep at night. 
Now, I was doing my own calculations this morning, working out a few very complex math problems that had formulas of which I invented that were, I mean, I'd been working on them and, and they're very, very good. They're top of the line. And so far, in the months that I've been using the 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover, I it looks like I've added 11.3 years onto the end of my life already. And I expect that if I keep using it, I might add 22.44 by the end of the year 2024. Which, I mean, 20 years, 22 years, that's a long time. 11 years, where I'm at right now, that's a long time. And I want that for you too. And it's also about quality of life because when you add more years, you feel younger as you're going along. So, you know, if you want something like that, use the link in my description. Use that code trend to fire checkout. Get yourself the 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover. Get it shipped to you. Stick it on top of your bed, queen or king size, whatever you use. And let the tech do the rest. I promise you it will. They create an incentive structure that makes sure that money will not flow anywhere outside of those two parties because they have too much of it and therefore they have too much influence and therefore they are too big to fail. And shame on us because we continually fall for it and we've been falling for it for 250 years. It's not about values at all. It's about cha-ching, right? It's all money-driven. Anything from any level, whether you're a politician or, you know, you're a podcast host. But again, like, if you're staying true to yourself in that sense, you know, like at some point you want to do this for a living, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, support yourself, support a potential family, yada, 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 correct? Yes. And you want to do that by doing it your way. You know, coming in here, having a straight shoot conversation with someone, no BS, no just like, all right, here's my agenda. Here's what we're going to talk about. A, B, C, D through Z, right? Why can I do that? I mean, you, what, why can you do that? Or yeah, why? it's kind of a trick question, but it, it's not a trick you question. You can do that to um, build what they call a quote-unquote brand. No, no, quote no I'm saying persona. why do I have the ability to do that? In this day and age? Yeah. Do you have an answer to this or are you genuinely yeah, yeah, asking I, me? Yeah, I do. I would just you – know, you tell me then. It's because I can do what I want. I have control of this. It's mine. I start, it's like any other well, business. Yeah. I started Absolutely. It. I can say what it is. Now, there are constraints in that I have to post on platforms. So the platforms have to let me post. There, you can absolutely draw some lines there. But I'm making the call. When you are in politics, you are now part of a group. You are the boss of shit. You are you're, – you're the president? Oh, you don't run anything. Nope. You make some decisions, sure. But at the end of the day, you're held accountable – to the party line and by the people who don't like that party line, who come from the other side. And so when I look at it, I see a total difference in my reality versus the reality of a politician. And I think that that cycle has only gotten stronger with the more media ability we have to communicate across society, i.e. more tools to get at each other directly, like on the internet, creates more division creates more problems, creates more creates more strength for the existing guard in a world like in a world that should be doing the opposite in that people should be getting more individual freedoms and liberties due to growth and resources and improving society. We are actually going the other way 
and having people become more reliant on one form of thought, on whatever it is. And when I talk with people in here who are hard one way or the other, I'm always amazed by how there is some ability to bring out some nuance when we're talking because I make them do it. And I'm like, God damn, why can't we do that? Like in public too. Yeah. Why does it take like some guy with a podcast having that conversation to get that nuance? Why does it take that uh, opening up your mind because you kind of have to in a way because I'm forcing you to. You're on my turf. Your back's against the wall. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get it from that perspective. Like either your back's against the wall or you're doing it because you want to spread that word because of you. Right? Like you want to What do you take- mean by that? Like, you, you want to be the voice of reason. You want to be the voice of the voiceless in that sense because you're on camera and you want people to look back and be like, oh, you're the reason all this started, right? Like, people go on camera, they go on talk shows, they go on podcasts, and they say things that people want to hear, whether it be left, right, neutral. You know, they go on shows to say things that people are going to agree with because they're gonna be like oh that guy's a stand-up guy like he should run for office you know if we're talking politics right like if you're a politician be like this is the guy i want in my corner because he's saying all the things that i'm thinking because they either had to because their back again was against the wall or they did their research and they're like this is what people want to hear and you can never really tell the difference of are these people authentic or did they do their research before they came on Knowing that this is what, what, what was going to happen. Very often, though, for those people, those politicians that gravitate towards, what really happened is that politician said one, two, or maybe three things that actually truly identified directly with that person's reality, whoever it is, yeah. that voter, every single day. And what happens after that is the tragedy, which is then because that person identified with their thing so closely, whatever it is, which is probably bullshit. They were doing it off data and all likelihood to try to win a fucking election. But because that person said that thing that's so so important to me, the voter, I will now lose my mind into then agreeing automatically and fighting for every single thing they say because yeah. they must be right about it. Yep. That's our problem yep. because now we start to make – like politicians are brands. That's a huge issue. Politicians should be congressman number 375 or president number 44, whatever. Like that should be what a politician is. It shouldn't yeah. be like this rock star. Like – you know, you and I were talking about Kurt Cobain or other people Talk, we like. you imagine? Right? Yeah, like I I would never have voted Kurt Cobain for president, right? I, could, I would never vote for Kanye for president. Like there, there's a totally different thing going on I wonder on how here. many votes he actually got. Who, yay? Yeah. I don't know, but it wasn't many. It was, it was more than like 12. No, it was more than that. He actually got some, but it wasn't. I can look it up. It wasn't that many. Nah, it was like 14. But that's like there's there's my point is it's a different game. And yet we've kind of blurred the lines with all of it and started to make it the same such that people like you look at two right now, Democrat and Republican, AOC and Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're these rock stars, quote unquote, in their extreme sides because they do a lot of crazy shit that gets social media attention. And so how much of that do you think is just for the attention and the publicity, though? Ninety five percent of it. Like I'd say like 30% of politicians actually get into politics for their beliefs. I think you're being kind. The only reason I say that is because I know a politician who said that to me. <laughs> Did he say it with a very convincing look on his face? 
I'm like, like how how much of this is actually like real, or how much of this actually is just for the public eye? You know, going into it just to say like this is great and this is what people want to hear is like most politicians are in this because of themselves, the money that's been drawn into it. You know, the amount of revenue that you could make into it to support yourself and support your family. Because most of the time, and I think the true point he was getting at, 30% of it is actual work. The other 70% is just sitting on your ass and watching shit go down and then reacting to it. They hand these people a bill in Congress at 9 a.m. in the morning for a 3 o'clock vote, and it's this thick. Yep. If you're listening and not watching, I'm holding my fingers pretty wide apart right here. Like, that's that's the system. The system says that people like Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer can exist. In a way, it's not their fault because the system says they can. They've been there for 40 years. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I think that's crazy. They're allowed to do it. People vote for them. They're allowed to run. You know, so in a lot of ways, there's things that, that we inherently have wrong in our quote-unquote system that then – Good actors and bad actors, very often it can be people that are bad or turn bad as a result of the power they get and the access they get. They then use that to their advantage, and they can. You know, and and I don't – when I see people fighting against this stuff, it comes from an extreme usually. And so it's very hard to take it seriously. Like, you know, you'll see – I have a lot of friends who are libertarians. I certainly have some libertarian leanings. There's things I like about libertarianism. But like people are like abolish taxes, get rid of the government. I'm like, well, no, that that doesn't work. I can say out of the same side of my mouth that a lot of our tax money goes to waste and that governments are inherently very unorganized, bad bodies. But it's it's like what's the alternative? Okay, abolish the government. So is Jeff Bezos going to run the world? He already does. I mean – like, is that, is that better? Is that – someone's going to have it. You know what I mean? Someone is going to have it. So you have – there's a level to which people have an unwillingness, whatever their belief system is, to accept the fact that whatever the result is, is going to have some bad in it. It's a question of what's the least amount of bad we can get. You know what, Julian? You're making a ton of great points. I think that your audience would agree with me in the sense that you should run for public office. <laughs> well – I don't say we never need on a stuff. voice I will like say you. Never. I will say never on that. We need a voice no like you that is bipartisan, no no bias involved. I mean, you you just basically explained what eighty percent of the world already knows. It is hypocritical and sad. That I'll endorse I, that you. I immediately say never. It, it is both hypocritical and sad. I say that. Who would want to be? But yeah, never. I don't know. No, and less than zero interest. Because I, first of all. I wouldn't want to run for more than one term because I believe in term limits. That already cuts my legs out from under me based on the current system. It shouldn't, but based on the current system we have, it does. And secondly, if like let's say I was doing something where I was on one of the shorter term ones, so it would be like multiple terms. Like let's say I ran for representative and I said, okay, it's an eight-year kind of gig to be able to get something done, so I'll have to rerun four times and then that's it. I set my own standard on it. I'm never going to get elected the second time. Yeah. Zero. I won't get elected the first time because I will go on the trail and the minute – like first of all, I'd have to pick one of the two sides. That's that's already a non-starter. I, had, I have no interest in ever doing that. Secondly, I'd have to go on there and I'd have to say things or 
self-censor from saying things that I may think that don't jive with the full system of whatever X side is supporting or, or whatever it is they think. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do that. So very quickly, I mean, look, look at what's happened now with some of these guys. So you see right now on the left side, you see Joe Manchin, who's a senator from West Virginia. And on the right side, you see Liz Cheney, who's a congresswoman from, I think, Wyoming, Dick Cheney's daughter. I was going to say, they're, they're, relation. Yeah. They're getting canceled by their own parties because they have the audacity to be like, you know, I think this, this thing right here, not a great idea. That's insane to me. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. We already canceled you. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me. But that's that's why I would just never – these people don't think. They're robots. They don't think. Well, at least you gave me a clear explanation as to why you wouldn't run for office ever. I don't, I don't know who would want to be in office. It, it seems like the most miserable job in the world. You, you can't do anything right. My godfather was asking me about this. This is back in the end of 2016, like after Trump won. And he was asking me what I thought about politics and everything. And I thought, I'm, I'm more involved, you know, over the last four or five years when I was growing up, I was a lot less involved. But, you know, I guess that's how it goes. And he goes, maybe... Maybe, not necessarily. He's like, do you want to be a politician? And at the time, I'm like, maybe I would. I don't know. And he's like, see, that's the thing. Like, when I went to college, becoming a politician was what the dumb kids did. That was like what the kids who fucked up in class but knew how to get pussy did. That's that's what it was. Really? Yeah. He's like, that's... That's not good. That's what it was. And now, it feels like you have businessmen going to do it not just trump like all these other people you have people that want to do it and he's like i don't know i just it's weird to me like that's supposed to be what the stupid people do and then it all started to make sense to me because the stupid people who just knew how to schmooze and sell were the ones that got power and that's still a lot of the people who are in power by the way and it's just it creates a perfect system where well what's someone like that going to respond to they're responding to the fact that they're just doing it because they want power they want to be able to sell people and know that they did and then get all the benefits that come with it and they're not the people that are necessarily the thought leaders or were known as the thought leaders because I think – as I, I might have just said this, but I want to make sure I get it across. The theme he was getting across that more people from outside are doing it now, even though that's the case, it's still mostly that precedent he was talking about it. And when he said that, it all it's a generalization, but it all made sense to me. How stupid could they really be though to get to that point? Because it, this is a cutthroat business we're talking about. Like – and when I say business, I mean it's business-oriented, at least in today's world. You can't just be some dipshit with no knowledge. Oh, yeah. I know what you're saying. You yes. know? Yeah. This is a very important distinction, and I say this and people want to scream at me, but like I do call people like Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell political geniuses. Yeah. They are political geniuses. They know what they're doing. So they're, they're, that's a great point you make. They may be, and I'm not saying it's these two guys. Those are just names I gave. But let's go back to the generalization my godfather gave me. A lot of these people may be intellectually stupid. Like, that that might be the case. Yeah. They, they might not be the brightest bulb. But that schmooze ability, that is a talent. And if they understand, like, if they understand how to manipulate people, it's a bad talent. But it's a talent. And they're very good at it. They're excellent at it. You look at anyone who's been tenured in Congress or Senate, 
they have that ability. And whether you whether they like it or not, too, like you you gotta have the balls to say like, all right, these people think I'm a bum. Let's go down that route. You know, like because some people might be prideful in that sense and be like, that's not how I want to be portrayed. You know, like some politicians are all about image, right? Ninety five percent. Now I'd say ninety eight percent of politicians are all about image. You know. And some people like a Mitch McConnell might not think like, oh man, everybody just thinks I'm like, like you think he's a political genius, but in the wide scheme of things for someone just like, again, just strolling by like me seeing, you know, SNL skits about him. I'm like, oh, these guys just think he's a bum, right? Because they have a different point of view. That's how he's gone about his business though. Like he's like, all right, people think I'm a bum. Like I'm going to, I'm going to kind of use that in a sense, right? He's not a bum to the people who are all about his point of view. Same thing from the other side. You know, the, the right will attack Nancy Pelosi all the time. I think that's very fair to do it. A lot of the left, not all of them now, because there's, there's a lot of people who are very extreme progressives who don't like her. But all in all, the left will support her more often than not. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it is all it's, – it's a concept of who you're appealing to. And now more than ever, when you become a politician – since you were going into one of the two parties, you were going to have half that hate you and half that hopefully love you. That's a bad start. It's a bit because the minute, like, do you ever go to any of these congressmen and senators' websites now? Only when I have to. We have this real estate show on our network where you always invite on people running for governor, running for senate, running for, um, uh, you know, whatever. You know, and they just come in, you know, in their suits and ties, their dresses, just like, hi, nice to meet you, Margaret Sanderson. You know, it's so fake, right? And you go to their website because you have to promote it. And it's just like, hmm, where's where's the real juice? You know, like, where's the stuff that makes you you? Like, why should I be voting for you? It says all the same things on their sites. Yeah. All the same talking points. And if you read through... What people want to hear. You have to go to their page where it says stances. And when I read through them, I can figure out that they're a Democrat or Republican. But I bring it up because most of these sites, they don't list. You have to go find it. It doesn't say Democrat or Republican. They try... Like, they are now in the smallest ways that are meaningless. No one really gives a shit about your personal website these I, days. I feel but, like you have to have a clear stance, though. Like, if you're running, people would know, regardless if they yes. can find it on your website. But I'm saying, like, they they try to run from it to take away the... If someone's coming on... To, I think this is what it is. If someone's coming onto their page for whatever reason, and it's not just me who's curious, like, going onto their page... To look through their thing, they don't want the person immediately being like, oh, that's a Republican or, oh, that's a Democrat. They want the person being like, oh, look at this nice guy with his family and everything. Oh, he looks cool. Oh, there's one stance that sounds okay. All right, cool. I'm in before they found out which side they're on. And it's like, in a way, I respect that because you're not playing directly to the party. But in another way, I know that that's not at all how it works. And everywhere outside of there, there's going to be a D or an R next to your name. And that's how people are going to judge you. It's interesting. Huh. <laughs> I, I, I really try to stay out of politics the best I can. Because, again, like, I never really truly know what's going to happen. Like, you know, just talking about it here, you never know. Not that you care. Like, you obviously don't care, and that's 
you know, why you have the following you do. That's why I wanted to come on, you know, like respect the hell out of you and what you're doing. You know, like you don't give two Fs about what anybody thinks. But, you know, like some people might look at this conversation and be like, oh, then you were talking about 50-50. You know, someone might look at this and be like, oh, there's half your audience gone because they didn't like what you were talking about. And that goes back to, you know, doing this because you want to grow your brand or you're doing this because you are actually passionate about it. You know, like you want to do this because this what this is what makes you you. You're not doing this mm. for money. You're not doing this for quote-unquote fame. You know, like, if you're doing it for those reasons, like, you're never going to make it because you're not doing this Well, you have to you. support yourself. You do, and, and that's But that's, that's going to grow over careful. time. Yes. Yeah, because yes. people see that you're you not leading you with the money. Exactly. You're not leading with that. You have to, if I could do it where I supported myself and didn't have any fame, that would be the best. I understand that in something like this, you have attention. So whether or not people will call it fame, I prefer they, they wouldn't if, if and when that happened. But yeah. yeah, I mean, there's the, the root element to doing it is because I like doing it and it's the thing I want to do. You know, and and I think that's that's probably what you're getting at there. Like you have to lead with that. Oh, one hundred percent. Like, do you do this because, like, w- obviously, one day you want to get to a point where you can make enough money to do this full time and be like, this is what I do, and yeah, I can go about I my way do to it do full time. But yes, yes, correct. I want to be able to have it very sustaining. Like I've self funded this, so yes, I understand what you mean. Like, would you want to be like? the Joe Rogan experience where the whole world knows who you are? Or are you good enough monetizing it to the sense I'm comfortable, I can live my own life? Because like you said, you're that guy who, you know, lived, you know, behind the curtain. That's all you yeah. ever wanted, right? Yeah, that part, that part. You want to do this because you love it and at the same time make enough money to where you're fine and comfortable as opposed to being famous. Yeah, I, I do want to be the best at what I do, though. That's just would be with anything. And that would come with being the most, the number one podcast in the yes, world. Yes, it would, which you have to accept the other things that come with that. And I mean, I'm a fucking long way off that. But if you're right. asking me what my vision is, yeah, when I put my heart into something, I want to be the best at it. Right. That's, I mean, you look like the comments and, you know, the looks and the opinions of others will come with it, but sponsorships will also come with it endorsements will also come with it and all you really have to do all you really have to care about is doing things on your terms the way you want to because it makes you happy it fulfills you and at the same time you get to spend time with your loved ones supporting them through something that you built and created and nurtured over a long period of time that's it that's the dream and and not everybody can get there you know 10 years from now you could I mean, obviously you'd grow, you know, you'd learn some things along the way, but like you might not be the number one podcast in the world, you know, it's a far goal. Like it should be everybody's goal that gets into this. Like you, you should want to be the number one guy, the top guy at the table, the head of the table per se. Right. But it might not happen, but you have to go in with the mindset of like, I can't do this or like, I, I will never feel validated in a sense until i get to that ultimate goal and prove to everybody why i started this because there's a lot of people that get into this and they're like you know they're surrounded by people that say like you're not going to be any good at this like why do you have a show like you have no platform you don't you you're not a public figure you're not famous you know every every platform has to start with a reason it has to start without a platform like your vision has to be your own vision. Like what is that vision? Like you starting Trendifier. Like what was your vision for this show and what did you want to bring to a specific audience? I got gotcha. you. Actually, it's not an easy answer. 
Cause like, well, let's I, unpack it then. I know it in my head, but it's really com. I hate complexity, and it's really complex. I, I guess if I were really oversimplifying it and just saying what it was, I wanted to just talk with people, and I've said yeah. this plenty of times on the show. And this is this is the easiest high level answer. I wanted to just talk with people and make people listening feel like we were talking about some of the issues that they cared about and like they were sitting at the table with us. And that that was really it. Like if you're talking vision, other than the competitive juices of me saying, yeah, if I get into something, I want to be the best at it. Yes, that's a part of the vision per se. But like before you get to a dick measuring contest, you have to you have to have the thing. You have to have the product. You have to have the gutsies. You have yeah. to have whatever it is. So what is it? And that's where the vision needs to be. And so for me, that's it was a lot more than that, but it was colored around what I just said there about conversation, different people, different issues. Everyone's interested. They're sitting at the table, but they don't have to say anything as a listener. You know, they feel like they could. That's That's what it was. Yeah. I, I hope that answers the question because it, it's I, I don't know to this day it's like a weird it's a weird thing to explain because it's also no. so it's such an out there medium to be like it's a podcast but like a long form conversation podcast with whoever the hell like it's a weird medium. No, it's a great answer, and I, I listened to the podcast you did, kind of explaining why you started it. You know, just sitting oh, back in the just day. sitting there fifty five minutes. Staring at a camera, not an easy thing to do, you know, but hypothetically, you know, just to put you on the spot, you know, like that is a great reason to start this. You had a vision, you had a passion for it. Five years down the line, if you're making the exact same money you are right now and the viewership isn't going up, things aren't trending in the way you thought they were in a trend, would you still do it? That would mean that I wasn't good and the market spoke straight up. There's no look. The beauty of doing a creative thing versus a sport is that yeah. like with a sport, there's a score. And there, there's score. I, I'm going to make this. I'm going to explain this. There's a score in creativity. You have to get viewers to have monetization and whatever. But in major sports, let's say like in America, for example, there's four major leagues that you can make a lot of money in. There's a very limited number of seats at the table of people who can actually get there and do that. And when they do, there's 30 teams, give or take, 30, 32, whatever it is. At the end of the year, there are all-stars and there is a winner of the league. That's it as a team. That's it. Like that's your measurement of success. So if you're a franchise in one of these leagues for 50 years and you don't have a title, you're not successful. You may have made some money for the business, but damn well didn't make as much as the as the ones that won titles. So you're not that successful. With creativity, and that's such a broad word, and that's why I use it. With things where you're just making something, it's not like there's four quarters or two halves, and at the end, like, there's a score. It's like you're making something and finding a way to take from the rock what wasn't there such that people who are going to find it are going to get value from enjoying it. And so once they do... Then they dedicate some time towards it. And yep. now it's a time battle. So if I were in the NBA, I'm LeBron James. As a friend, when I'm not playing in the game and a friend of mine playing for another team, 
let's say Kevin Durant is playing, I, I can root for him. But I can't really root for him. Because, like, I, there's one title to win. Right. Everyone is in my way to do that in this league, in this little league right here. So I, I can root, like, as a friend, you know, you can go to Chris Paul's game after he's eliminated as a friend and root for him in a way. But it's like, you can't, there's, there's competition there. When you're in something creative, I can root for another podcast that does the same exact type of thing I do. It's going to be different because it's a different host, different thoughts, different whatever. But I can root for that because the only thing we're competing on is people's time. If they give me three hours, someone else two hours, some guy who makes a video about cars another hour a week, some dude over here who has a Netflix show that he made 12 hours that week, great. Great. As long as I'm getting a sliver of the time and earning that, great. I will then root for everyone else. So it's different in that way. Right. You don't have to be this cutthroat competitor. No. Like I've never had a another podcaster in here, and I think I've had like maybe like five podcasters in here who I'm not then rooting for them. Or like, hey, let's get your audience as big as we can. What the fuck does it mean to me? If we were going directly against each other in a league, championships on the line, unfortunately different story. But we're not. And that's the beauty of doing this. Right. Another complex answer, but that's kind of how I think. Your biggest competitor, not only in what you do, but in life is yourself, first and foremost. Because it's up to you to, again, not compete against those guys, but to be good enough to where you are the number one guy compared to everybody else, right? Because at the end of the day, you'd be like, oh, I didn't do this right. Uh, they didn't understand that take. That's why they listened to him more than me, him or her. I don't want to differentiate there. Another thing you can get in trouble about these days. Sorry. Um, but it's on you. Like, if you put everything on you, like some people say, oh, you can't be too hard on yourself. But at the same time, if you're not blaming yourself in that sense, with everything that goes wrong in your life, regardless if it was some shitty freak accident that happened, like you were there at that specific time for a reason, right? Like maybe you got into a car crash that day, you know, because like that exact time, like those exact coordinates shaped up because maybe you slept in for five extra minutes. Maybe you were running late, you know, you took a longer shower than you usually do. Weird things leading up to that. Like if you take responsibility for all of that stuff, and you look at yourself in the mirror and say, like, I didn't compete to the best of my ability against myself today. I wasn't a better version of myself today. That, that's where it all stems from. You can't look at it and be like, I have to be better than him. Because now now you're creating this toxic thought process in your head that you got to be better than someone else. Because you are your own version of you, mm. right? Yeah, like, you, you, you can't compare yourself to... Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you know, like right. I'm never going to be a six foot six, 300 pound Samoan badass. It's just never going to happen. I could go to the gym every single day. I could take all the steroids in the world that I want. I'm never going to be that. Right. That's not who I was built to be. I think you just nailed it. I, I think, I think you just, that, that explanation was perfect. And I'll even build on top with another quick example. Kobe could sit there and study Michael's tape. Because Kobe was six foot six, yeah. similar weight, similar profile, not quite as athletic as Michael, but similar type style of play. And the end result is ball in hoop. Yep. So I study this move, ball in hoop. When you are doing things that involve communication, which is any and all content, the number of variables that go into that don't just result in ball in hoop. It's how does the ball go in the hoop? Like they don't care in basketball. It's like 
ball goes in hoop, it's a two or a three. You know what it is. Whether it hit the front rim and went in, hit the back rim and went in, used the backboard, was a pure swish, came in at a lower angle, higher angle, it's the same score. In communication, all of those other variables matter. So point being, if you try to be someone else, you're done. You're done. Like, it, it, And I know people will point to people who have quote-unquote made it kind of doing that. I'll even come back at them and say even if that was their intention, they unintentionally did other things differently that made them somehow different from whoever it is they tried to copy. Not saying I love that or I'm happy that they made it. You know, I don't root against people. Do you? But like there is a thing there versus where there is a pure black and white score of this is what it is. Yeah. That said, yeah, you, you have to get numbers and that you do compete on that. And it's, again, competing for time. Like I think people, even like listening to, to you and, and what you do, I think people would be in a different vibe choosing to listen to you versus listening to me. I think that people, very obvious one, people are going to be in a different vibe if they choose to listen to my show or go watch a reality TV show. They're in a different mood. Could be a Tuesday at 9 a.m. Could be a Thursday at, at 4. It's not, it's all, it's all relative. It's not this pure, there's 82 games or 17 games or 162 games and you win yeah. or you lose every single one. Boop, 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 boop. Right. And you're not going to, in that regard, you know, when it comes to like fan bases and stuff, like you're not, you, you can't pull everybody in, right? Like you being true to yourself, you're going to build a loyal fan base that listens to you and likes your takes, likes your opinions, likes the way you describe things like you do so eloquently, you know? Thank you. Um, and that grows over time, you know? And that's because you figure it out, like, I have to be the truest version of me and not think about what other people are doing because that's their niche. Focus on your niche, you know? Like, you, you got your cup, you know how to fill it, right? Mm. Everybody's got their own cup, per se, you know? Not just, like, one right here. But, you know, like, it, it's up to you and how you use your mind and your creativity to say, this is what's going to make me different, and I'm going to grow a loyal fan base based on that. Because, I'm, I'm go you know, everybody's different, but you resonate with certain people, right? Absolutely. Like, I feel like you resonate with, um, I, th I feel like a lot of people resonate with Joe Rogan and the, some of the conversations Absolutely. he's had. Maybe even just some of their guests. You know, what, what they yes. say, it inspires you, you know? It's a lot of people here in the East Coast, we've talked about this before, almost lost my breath there, um, Barstool Sports has been mm -hmm. a huge influence over people, right? There, there's a lot of professionals out there, ESPN, Fox Sports, NBC, that look at Barstool Sports and be like, this can't be the new norm. This is so raunchy, this is so unprofessional. They can't stand it. I can't stand it. Maybe that's just the higher ups because they have a lot of, you know, again, it goes back to money, you know, like they have to, and they have to stay true to what the corporate levels want because there's a lot of money involved. And if you act unprofessional, that's not going to go over well with the higher executives, you know, but Barstool since day one, Dave Portnoy has stayed true to himself, what he wanted that to be. And maybe it's evolved over time for sure, but he's always stayed true to the identity and nobody could ever replicate that. You know, it took him since 2004, you know, going from house to house in Massachusetts. I don't know the exact town he grew up in, but, you know, just going from house to house, just sending people newspapers. 
based on his thoughts and opinions on certain games, Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, you know, Bruins, whatever, you know, what he was talking about, you know, but he grew a loyal fan base that's grown nationally. They have their own bowl game coming up in Arizona, in Tucson. It's nuts. And that all started because he wasn't going to take shit from anybody. He knew who he was and he knew how to, again, fill his cup. He knew how to not take no for an answer too. Yeah. He, he knew how to turn a no into a yes. Oh, why, yeah. why is this a no and how can we turn it into a yes? I mean, I, he will fuck you into a yes. That Like that is what he did. Like you will say you can't do that and he'll say, oh, I will. And he'll do it over and over. And there's just some guys now who get, and I think it's like our whole society with like cisgender white males, like just coming after it and shit. But like people just want to rip Portnoy and Rogan left and right. And I'll defend those guys to the death. It's like, what, I think it's just people are obsessed with ripping success. I don't give a shit what their background is. If someone has a story where they built and they did shit that other people wouldn't do over and over and over again, and they're not hateful people, they're good people. They are. Like, wh- why, why do you have to hate on that? You know, and, and like, you should encourage, if, if there's one thing that, like, Portnoy doesn't encourage, but it's also, like, a part of his shtick, he's a comedian, like, at all yeah. times. He's a character. Is that he doesn't encourage, per se, outwardly people to disagree with him. That said, he, it's a part of, like, how he plays off of forcing people to. So they come back at him, and then he has fun with it. It's like kind of like an act. With Rogan, he openly wants you to do it. And it's not like, even though he's a comedian by trade, like on the podcast, totally different. He, he wants to be able to have the talk and like disagree eloquently. People don't like that because right. it's not profitable. It's not profitable to the powers that be that we were talking about earlier in society. It's not profitable to them because if you get people – It doesn't make quick revenue. Like, it took Rogan, again, he had a platform, right? He was a comedian, yes. UFC okay. commentator. Yes. Yeah. Still took him a long time to build the Joe Rogan experience into what it is now. I'm not even talking about his side, but that's 100% right. I'm talking about the other side of why the people that hate on him in society do. They do because guys like him represent the ability for someone to think for themselves. He has people of all different backgrounds on there. He has a lot of nuanced beliefs. I think that they have definitely pushed him conservative through the actions that they've taken on him throughout COVID. I also don't have a problem with that. If I were in his position, that might happen to me too because they've basically told him over and over again every single thing he says is bullshit. He platforms all these people who aren't platformable, which is such bullshit. Yeah. And you know they, they cherry pick his beliefs and then they – they mischaracterize him and it's so sad to see because if anything he's been the guy who wants everyone to talk i don't know like that's for anyone who does a podcast talking with other people i don't care if it's a comedy podcast i don't care what it is that's the gold standard i'm not saying you're going to be like that and have that podcast medium or style i'm just saying like if you want to figure out how to get people talking or just make it natural that's it. <laughs> that's that's the one. There, yep. And there's a lot of other great examples now. And I study them all. But like, started with him, and yet people want to hate on him. And and I think I think it's a dangerous thing that we do in society. And now they they make teams around it. They 
they turn everything political with it, and it's just it's so sad to me, and it shouldn't be that way. I mean, nobody knows everything either. No. Like, you know, half of it is just being curious. Like, he asks questions that people be like, oh, man, that's such a dumb thing to ask. Like, how do you not know that? Like, nobody knows everything. You know, that that's one of the biggest keys in life, I think, is to be a curious human being. Seek knowledge on a daily basis. And he does that through his podcast. Like, he's a very intelligent guy. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to be a good comedian. Oh, you know? yeah, man. Like, I wouldn't even consider him one of the greats, but he's good enough to where he built a public status doing it. Like, word got around, like, this guy's a funny dude based on his shtick, whatever, you know, his end game was, marijuana, you know, talking about edibles a lot, whatever it is, you know? You, you could talk the same about, you know, Bill Burr. Like, a lot of people would be like, that guy's a dumbass, like, his takes are just weird, but he's good at giving it's hysterical. them. It's hysterical, right? One of the best ever. My favorite comedian. Oh, no doubt. He's one of the best ever. Like, it's a ridiculous notion for people to be like, how did, like, nobody knows everything. You know, like, is the president supposed to have all the answers? Joe Rogan certainly doesn't have all the answers. Portnoy definitely doesn't have all the answers. You know, you learn on a daily basis. And if you are willing to seek knowledge, which everybody should on a daily basis, that's how you grow your brain. That's how you grow your heart. That's how you grow everything, you know? People are looking for gods inside of other people, and they're not going to find it. Thor ain't real. Yeah, they're not going to find it. Tony Stark ain't real. E- even even that, though. Tony Stark, superhero, can do shit that's not real. Still didn't know everything. He was still human. You know what I mean? It, and, and yet we want we have these expectations that, like, someone has all the answers. And that's, you know, that's how we divide it on everything. And that's why it's sad. It's not just politics anymore. It's on people and culture. And I, I, I just want to appreciate people for what they do and you don't have to agree with all of it my my favorite favorite compliments i get on this podcast from fans who reach out and i get this one probably at least a couple times a week now is hey something along the lines of i don't necessarily agree with plenty of things you say but i love how you talk with everyone and i it may it makes me have such an open mind yeah and i'm like First of all, thank you to all the people ahead of me who have done that. You know, Rogan's one of them. You look at even like actors like like Russell Brand who went into podcasting. It's phenomenal. Genius. You know, and he's like – he is such a – I don't give a fuck. Let's just talk about it. You know, that's – guys like that are incredible. And then even like comedian – pure comedian types like an Andrew Schultz who's hilarious. He still talks with real people. They still talk about some real things. It's all from a comedy bend, but like, god damn, I appreciate the hell out of that. So like to be mentioned in a compliment like that, I look at the guys who have been doing it and say like, yo, that's the responsibility. For me and anyone else coming into this, trying to build a cute little audience and get there, that better be something that people come with because if you are not – like if you're a Democrat or a Republican and like that's a part of your job – and your personal brand and you have to create a show around that okay all power to you i still hope you listen to both sides you probably won't but whatever if you're anyone else though and politics is not your career and you're talking about societal issues you better be able to have plenty of things that every listener can disagree with on there if you're not guess what you do have a political show and you have a problem it's almost i don't want to say better to have people disagree with you but like it starts the conversation as opposed to just being oh, yeah. being like oh yeah i totally agree with that man yeah 
And don't it's, get me wrong. Like, it's nice to find common ground on stuff. I love doing that. I love doing that in the middle of a disagreement yeah. with things because it can reset some places of like, oh, we don't come from a totally different place. But it's nice to be able to pull out the implied differences. People are civil, you know? And like, I don't know about you. I would imagine you have this on steroids because you record all the time. I mean, you've done 400 and some episodes. Mm -hmm. But I have takes that are cold a week later all the time. All the time. And I remind people that. I'm like, yo, we, we once defended Andrew Cuomo on this podcast for like a half hour, right? Like, we're going to say things that are wrong. I think now society expects that every single thing someone says has to end up being right. And I'd like to be one of the people, and I think there's plenty of people before me doing it, but I'd like to be a help in shifting that paradigm of like, no, no, you're going to hear shit that's absolutely dumb. And we're not going to try to do it, but it's going to age that way. And we'll tell you when it does, to the best of our ability. And I think that's what makes, um, to go back to, you know, the whole argument of Barstool Sports versus everybody else in the media game, like, they have publicly effed up many times, you know, you know, when it comes to, sh you know, throwing shit at the wall, ideas left and right, you know, eight things out of 10 work, then there's those two things where like, up, oh, sorry, we fucked up. That's on us. Yeah. And they ask their fan base, like, how can we improve? We're like ESPN and Fox Sports. They are so straight arrowed to where like they can't screw up they can't say the wrong thing or else they lose a ton of money where barstool is you know true to you know say like okay we're gonna try this and we're not gonna give a fuck what anybody thinks but if it doesn't draw the numbers like we gotta be honest with ourselves we we can't do that and they're open about it do you think there's like a war on words define war on words just like it's not right to like drop an f bomb on national television. And stuff like <laughs> no, that. no, I wasn't even going that. So that shit, that ship sailed. I'm talking about intention behind words and what people say and picking out every little thing they do to try to determine exactly how they're hateful or how they're how they're wrong. Right. I mean, it differs from people whether you want to look at politics or even comedians. You know, everything. Everything Bill everything. Burr says can be offensive to a lot of yes. people. But he's joking. He's a comedian. Like you, you have to recognize, like, oh, that that's really wrong and bad that he said that. But like, that's his shtick. That's what he wrote down. That's what he came up. Like that's his niche. He's he's trying to be funny. He's not taking himself seriously. But some people look at that and say, you're, you know, not indirectly of what he's saying. Like you are anti-women. You're a racist. You're this. You're that. You know, you're a Nazi for saying that, you know, yeah. like there, there's so many people that take everything so seriously, like same with Barstool Sports. There's a ton of stuff they say that might be wildly inappropriate or inaccurate, and they might just be trying to come off as comedic, like comedic, like, yes. a, like a joke, as opposed to actually yes. like, oh my God, you, you believe that? like that's your personality? Like that's such a bad thing to say. Like there's a difference between... And and some people come off and you know, okay, they're joking. Like, that that's clear as day. Some people don't come across that way when they're trying to, though, right? There's a lot of people out there that think they're of the comedic stature and, you know, like, humor is their thing, but it really isn't. Like, you, you did not come across as someone who uh, yes. thought of that jokingly. Like, that came off as derogatory. That came off as very rude and offensive. That's, that's also hard to pin, pinpoint, though. You are right, though. I'm huge on intent, and that's exactly what you're getting at. Yeah. But I also know 
look, I'm going to give takes on stuff when I see it. That doesn't mean that I don't also know that sometimes I'm going to be wrong and not know I am about what someone really thought about something because maybe they're just really bad at delivering it. Right. Now, there, look, are there some things that are cut and dry? Yes, there are. Like, I don't need to give examples, but there's certain things you see like, yep, that person's not too great. But there are many other things where we run with a narrative on something someone says in public that can even at first glance look like bad intent. And then you really think about it and you're like, no, I think it was just a bad take. Or no, I think they were trying something and it just didn't work. And like comedians is that situation on steroids because their literal job is shock and awe. Their job is to offend and make light of. When does that stop? You know, like Dave Chappelle. If Dave Chappelle were coming up today, I don't think he would ever happen. That's sad to say. Dave Chappelle loves all people. He's a great guy. He knows how to joke and have fun. I, I, did you see his special a couple of years ago? Was it? I, I watched one the other week about he, he had like three different stages talking about OJ Simpson and he just like randomly walked in because he, there's like seven different specials he had, had yeah. out on Netflix. Yeah. But the recent one, I don't think that was the same one, but the one he did came out like end of summer 2019. He won I – th- I think he won some Emmys for that. Maybe it wasn't Emmys. He won some shit for that. And it has like a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But when it started, the way Rotten Tomatoes opened up the rating was they only allowed critics to rate it. Really? So they picked five or ten critics who were all – I'm going to guess they were just leftists. And they all rated it like zero. <laughs> And people were like, what the fuck? This is the funniest shit I've ever seen. They rated it that because the things he was saying in there were meant to shock and offend. He talked about like the alphabet people referring to like the LGBTQ community and everything. And it was all in good jest. But people have to take every single thing so seriously. It's dangerous to even say something that might be measured as funny because someone won't find it funny. Mm -hmm. And he told a story after that documentary came out. There was a special where he was being interviewed about the documentary that was released on Netflix as well. And so Dave Chappelle sat there and told a story about going to play at some – or he was going to do stand-up at some comedy outlet in San Francisco. And when he looked out – it's a small type place. He looked out in the front of the audience and he saw a transgender woman there. And he's about to do a stand-up special that includes talking about the alphabet people and making light of like transgender people and things like that. And he was like, oh, man, god damn it. I can't do this goddamn thing now. Fuck. And then he, he stopped and he thought to himself, if I can't do this joke in front of her, then I shouldn't be doing this joke. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to go do the joke. And she was laughing her ass off and talk with him about it afterwards. Because she has the ability to laugh at herself a little bit too, even if it's not the full truth or you know whatever, it's ridiculous over the top. It's a part of life, laughing at yourself. And I think we're kind of getting to a point where part of this quote-unquote war on words is that people don't have an ability to laugh at themselves anymore, and that's very scary to me. I, I mean, I not to get too deep into you know cancel culture stuff and whatnot, but you know, like for example, when all that stuff happened last year, you know pandemic related blm related everything that went down you know like tv will tell you one thing like it's offensive to all people when other people are like that doesn't offend me at all 
you know, just to put it in broad terms, not to get too deep into what, you know, people would interpret from that, you know, because like some people will look at that and be like, black lives matter, only black lives matter. You know, that was the quote unquote agenda, right? Mm -hmm. I, you know, have a ton of African-American friends who are like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Like, this what, is almost what was embarrassing. The, thing ever? the whole BLM movement. Yeah, I have, I have plenty. And of again, like, I, don't, I don't have... I have friends on both that, like, I have black friends who were all about it and black friends who weren't. It's a spectrum like anything else. Right. You're allowed to have an opinion, you right. know? And things, by the way, things can get bastardized, too. That definitely got bastardized to me. Yeah. I think the founders of that thing bastardized it. Yep. You know, like, you can say one... I don't think anyone would say, like, Oh, that's not a perfectly fine thing to say. I think when they look at like the organization that came with it and what the organization ended up doing that was far beyond any of that, like just Black Lives Matter, that's where people had an issue. And so I, I understand what you're saying because it's like you're forced to pick a pick a speed. Like it started as speed. a belief. It became a political stance. Yes. Like what started over here, they just grabbed and were like, all right, thanks for helping us out. We're going to turn it into this. And what this was was just a complete lie. Notice how it's gone. Not gone, but like it's not it's as quieted down. Yeah, it's not as relevant as it was a year ago. I started seeing a lot of white people taking over Black Lives Matter. And that's where I started going. Hmm. You probably shouldn't be doing this, man. Yeah, that's I kind of had an issue with that. And I'm not like a I'm not a purely tribal. No, no, no. Only you can do this because you think this or whatever. But I'm all, or you are. You have X as your identity, whatever the organization is. But there's an element of, hey, it should be pretty honest about the lived experience. You know, yep. if, if I see, if I'm constantly seeing a bunch of white guys talking about Black Lives Matter, eventually I'm gonna be like, well, wait a goddamn second. Aren't you kind of stealing this? Like, there's a part of me that thinks that, and so I. And that, why is that? Because it's not your lived experience. You just, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're a white guy or a white chick. I appreciate the sympathy if that's where it's coming from. I think some people, they hijack it for attention. But I know exactly, there's a lot of yeah. people who are sympathetic. I appreciate that. But at what point do you start now setting the lines? Like at what point are you the loudest people in social media saying, this is what we think and this is how we feel because BLM. And you're not black. Why are you? Hold on a second. Like, if if D. Ray McKesson wants to come out here and say, okay, if he's if he's at the forefront of it, which I haven't even heard his name in a long time, okay, that's a part. Of it. I, you don't have to agree with him, but it's his lived experience. He's a black man, you know. I'm not saying you can't have any white people in it. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying like it felt like it just turned completely to like minus a handful of people. It was always mm -hmm. white people talking about it. And I'm like that just seems counterintuitive to me. I mean anybody could be sympathetic about anything. Like if you're empathetic towards it, you've lived it. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. that's that's totally different ballgame. Like you have every right. But if you're just sitting there – and again, I think a lot of it when it came to whether it be white people or anybody in general – it was for attention to say, oh, what a great guy. Like, what you're doing is such a great stance, you know? And you, you, there was that one day last year where um, they had, like, the blackout on Instagram. I don't know if you mm – -hmm. you know, like, that one day everybody just 
posted yep. a black blank the black page. square. Yeah, and it was just I posted one. Yeah. All right. Did you give like an explanation, or you just do like nope. hashtag whatever? Nope. I I don't know. I I think about that sometimes. Like if I would have today, truthfully, and it's an issue I cared a lot about and was looking into. But at the time, I literally posted that. I put. I don't want to say zero thought into it, but very close to zero thought into it. Right. And then long after the fact, when a whole bunch of other shit happened, I was like, well, isn't that a part of the problem? I never took it that. Like, I, it is what it is. I own it. It's, it's, it's fine. But, like, it felt very hollow to me. I'm like, that feel for not, and I'm not even just speaking for myself there. I'll speak for other people for him who don't want me to speak for him. It felt very signally and hollow. And if I were a black person who was very, very into, very, very about the issue at hand, which, especially at the time, right then, duh, I probably wouldn't feel too great about that happening. Not to say like, hey, I don't appreciate some of the want of support here, but like, what's the action? I think Terrence Jones said it when we were talking about this, maybe like, I think it was the first podcast of the two that he and I did, which was like one of the first podcasts in here. He was like, he was like, he had a, he said it way better than I will, but he's like, action over talk or he said it better than that but you know what i mean like he was more thinking what's gonna come of this nothing and he was right i don't think anything really came of that i have a black square on my profile i don't really know what it did it was more of a thing like oh shit yeah today's that day boom what did that do 12 people could have done it 12 billion people could have done it yeah i but it spoke the same message I'm trying to look for the one because I wasn't going to do it initially just get, again, like I'm not involved in politics and I feel like I don't deserve to have a take on it because some like 50% of the people are going to disagree with it and then it's just going to be a big thing. Like what, what, what's the point, you know, and I don't have enough knowledge to even give like an extensive take on anything that's going on because again, I think empathy over sympathy, 100%. You could be sympathetic and be like, oh man, that's wrong. But like, you're just, you know, like. Both of us, I think it's safe to say, privileged white kids, right? Yeah, according to society standards, no doubt. Like I wasn't, so I wasn't going to post one because, again, like I just I had to stay out of it. But um, I'm going to look for it here. It was, I think, it was CNN. And for anybody that watches the news and knows the news, CNN is a left, mm-hmm. you know, um, organization, network, whatever you want to call it, and. Um, one of the reporters, Omar Jimenez, was doing a take in the whole process of that. I think he was in Minnesota when yes. everything was getting burned down. Yes. Literally just doing his segment. Got arrested. Got arrested on the spot just because. And I remember watching that live thinking like, like it doesn't take a genius to think like, That's this is wrong. Up. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like, this that. is not cool. Like say what you want about that whole movement and the way the media portrayed it. Because there was definitely a lot of that involved, you know, just blinding the people and saying this is what it's about as opposed to this is what it's actually about. But seeing that on TV, I'm like, that is so – like that he, – he wasn't doing anything. He had his media badge. They showed him his media badge, and they still – nobody listened. It wasn't set up, you know that, because there were clear – it was CNN and cops, which they don't – they certainly don't match on where their stances are on certain things as it relates to law enforcement at a broad level. But it was so bad 
that your first thought is like, oh my God, is this staged? And it wasn't. It wasn't. But that's how mind-numbingly dumb that was. These, like, those cops, whoever they were, those individual cops right there, I lost brain cells watching what they did. To say nothing of it was a disgrace. They're arresting a media man on camera. Like, that. just like, you don't do that, period. But, like, the lack of self-awareness you must have in that moment to be doing that stuns me. And it says here in an article that they wrote saying, the camera doesn't show that a few blocks away a white journalist also reporting for CNN was treated and greeted by police with consummate politeness. And see, there's and give a, or take, like, again, not on camera, who knows? Look, we can say, like, some of this stuff is anecdotal, and it is. And some of it's certainly used as a way to further the divide, no doubt. But, yeah, you see shit like that happens, and it just makes you go, what are you doing? You are literally making it worse in the simplest of ways that should be, like, not making it worse. Like, okay, you, you have some inherent biases. Don't act on them. <laughs> like, if you have them, don't act on them. I don't, I'm, I don't like that you have them. But don't act on them. Yeah. It's not hard. Just fucking walk the other way. I just, sometimes the lack of, the lack of common sense on people is just like, oh my God. I, I remember watching some of that because, again, like, not a political guy, but how could you not watch what was going down last summer with everything? Everyone watched it. At least a little bit. Yeah, I'll even push back on you. I don't think anyone can say, including you, these days. And I understand what you mean. But when you say, like, not political person, in the past, what that would have meant was I'm completely not informed on everything. Someone like you talking with everyone you do, you are informed on stuff. What I would amend it to say, and you can disagree with me, but what I would amend it to say is you are more someone that beats to the drum of I don't necessarily – feel passion that my opinions are strong one way or another or that I need to win. But no. to say that like you're not somewhat informed I think is wrong. You talk with way too many people. You're a guy who does know what's going on to an extent. Like maybe you don't look into Fair. it like I, I do on some things. I don't know 100% of yes. the facts though. Nor do I. So like I don't want to say something and be like that's literally like it's one thing to be like i don't agree with your opinion it's another thing to be like okay you don't have your facts straight you know i respect that i know what you mean and i know i that just I want to clarify have, yeah. that oh 100 I, I know what's going on for sure yes i hear a lot more i hear a lot more credibility in understanding some of the things yeah than you are giving yourself credit for and so i want to make that clear while we're having this conversation because th- there is a level to which you you do you have done some homework on some of these oh, things. Oh, yeah, 100%. I appreciate the fact that you're not, and again, nor should you, looking at it like, I've done all my homework. I know exactly how it is. Right. No one knows exactly how everything is. No. Right. Not one person. Not no. even the fucking president, presidents, whoever. Like, none of them. So it's, it's good to have the, that. The, ol- the only things I can touch on regarding that stuff that happened and what's been happening over the past 15 months or so is the obvious stuff that nobody can really disagree with. Like I, I was saying, like watching people out in the streets in Washington, you know, people with phones recording the police and pushing the police, intentionally provoking the police so that they'd hit back and that they'd have it on camera and that yep. they could show people. Yes. Like you see that on camera, on the news, and you got to think like, you're just hurting yourself. You're hurting your what you what your stance is, right? People who are in the BLM movement per se. 
whether it be the political stance or not. You're hurting yourself by intentionally pushing policemen who aren't even looking at you. I don't think they They're, think. The, I don't think they think of it that way, though. I'm not. That, dis, I'm not disagreeing with. That's you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, though. I don't think like, they think of it that way. It's a stupid move on your part because everybody's seen it on national television. Like you, you're making the first move. You're intentionally trying to set yourself up so that people will see. See, see, all police are bad, but that's not the case. With anything that gets attention in the public square, it's always going to be the most extreme because it's the most visceral. It creates the most reaction of agreement or intensive disagreement. Right. It's no different when a group of people get together in the actual literal public square regardless of what organization they are. Mm. You know, like do I think that 77 million or 74 million, whatever it was, Trump voters are represented by the dumbasses who went into the Capitol, including people who broke down windows and broke into places and shit in there? No, I do not. You know, I, I think that those people... You know, to me, like, you go in the Capitol, you get shot. That's just kind of what it is. That's a whole other thing why that didn't happen. And they didn't have a lot of protection there as far as, like, I know if that were a BLM protest, there would have been right. an armed fucking guard there, right. which is ridiculous to me. But, you know, once it happened, you can't control what happened. You look at it and you, you should be able to say, not the brightest bulbs who went in there, not the best this country has to offer, not the best this country has to offer of the people who voted one way. Despite the fact that I thought Trump was the dumbest person in America for having that rally that day, like that's why I don't have really sympathy for him on the matter at all because he planned that rally for three weeks. He knew what kind of people were going to show up. He knew that you know this could definitely be something where situations were going to be created. I'm not saying he knew that riot was going to happen, but things were going to happen that could be used against him, and he still did it because mm -hmm. he can't help himself. Yep, and so like. Deal with it, bro. Like, you deal with the fucking fallout. But what I'm not going to do is then say, those people represent a dangerous whatever in this country that exists in half the country. Half the country voted for this guy, roughly. So they're like that. That right. is fucking insane. It is insane. But people do that. And people do the same thing, by the way. People do the same thing. Making assumptions that all people who support coming back against like racial injustice or something like that must be BLM supporters and all about what they do. No, they're not. Even if they virtue signal for it, you know, like, oh, okay, whatever, hashtag this. No, they're not. They're not the ones out there in the street doing what you talked about. Yeah. Pushing into police. Right. Most people don't do that. You know, so I'm not going to cherry pick and be like, they're all like that. This is ridiculous. No. You know, and it's like, nuance man like i say it over and over again but i'm begging for it and i still see less and less of it every day you see though but that you know talking about you know people pushing intentionally provoking police officers like that is a prime example of this isn't what it's been said to be this isn't what it's all cracked up to be and that is a clear example that i thought like okay i'm not going to invest my time watching this stuff because it's all hoopla you know like it's it's all for show like, what if a police officer did strike back in that moment? What would you say? Definitely wrong, but at the same time, he was provoked. You wouldn't see the provocation. They'd edit that you, out. You think they'd edit it out? Yeah. 
But people watching it live would have seen it. And there's a lot of people who watch that stuff on an hourly basis, especially last year. What's the – there's a quote someone in history said, and I can't think of what the exact quote was, but I know the idea. That sucks. But it's like – Like there would be people on Twitter who would probably be recording it in the moment. It would be like, see, see, they edited it out and they'd have the proof. It has to do – the quote I'm thinking of has to do with gaslighting. You gaslight people into not saying anything who saw it. And then you gaslight the people who hear about it to not believe the people who were there who have the audacity to say what they really believe happened. So basically, first one to punch wins. Yeah. It's just how it is. The narrative's going to be the narrative. And there's times where it's right. There's times where it's wrong. You know, I... I, We, we've talked about race a ton on this podcast. I will never shy away from talking about it because we do have issues. I don't believe our issues are like we're living in 1833 like some people would have you believe these days. That doesn't mean I'm then going to be what a lot of people on the other side is, which there's no issue. Shut the fuck up and deal with it. Well, no, that's, that's patently false. I'll beat you on that argument all day. Again, though, I'm going to beat you on the original argument from the other side, which is 1833. Yeah. No, no, that's that's patently false too. And and I can't, you know, I hope more people have in the conversation like that. And I have it with people of all backgrounds. I have it with black people who are in here. I have it with white people who are in here. I've had it with other people who aren't white or black who have been in here. I don't shy away from it. My hope is that whatever the nuance of beliefs is there, hearing people talk about that can put it in a lens to address issues as a proactive measure rather than react to issues as a hysterical measure Mm. there's a big difference there and i wish more people would bridge that divide and i probably haven't always done the best job of bridging the divide i'm doing the best i can it's hard it's very hard like again like you get your thoughts across splendidly you know, just <laughs> listening here, talking to you, but at the Sometimes, same time, it's still I'm hard. Not sure about it's that. still hard if you had someone, you know, whether left politician, right politician, whatever, and you're trying to get these thoughts across, and it doesn't come out the way you thought it would, or maybe it came off perfectly and it just didn't enter their ear hole the way you thought it would, and they turn it into something else. You know, like it's hard to get your thought across in the sense of, here's what I'm laying out, and if you don't understand it, that's one thing, but if you do understand it and you take that and you spin it. And then you make the conversation something else. Unfortunately, in today's world, um, and again, I'm trying to come across as perfectly as I can here in stating this, people will take the truth and they'll make it into whatever they think it is. Or they'll spin it so that they stay away from the truth, especially politicians. There's a phrase that we use in society, and I actually fail to call it out on this show all the time because I know some people who are in here use it with not this intention at all but i think that things can go downstream like when we like i was talking about earlier when we repeat things over and over we can start to then take on meanings we don't want and there's a phrase that i've used and many other people in society have used including as i said guests on this podcast where we say like my truth yeah or your truth or whatever and john boric who was in here was one guy who brought that up and called it out and he said that we need to stop that yeah there's the truth it's not your truth. It's not my truth. It's the truth. Yeah. Because you undercut your argument in saying it. So like I was – when I was editing a recent podcast I did with Will, the head of Rec Philly, who's 
unbelievable. Check out that podcast. There was a point where he used that term, and I know he didn't mean it like that, where he was saying like, you know, talking about something with like your truth and my truth. And I, it went in one ear and out the other. But things like that, we have to start recognizing to be like, well, wait a second. Let's not let this get out of control because then eventually, as we've seen, people will say shit like that all the time. Like my truth is this. My truth is I'm really a rabbit. It sounds crazy. People do it because it starts it, – it's a slippery slope thing. It starts with one thing and then the other and then the other. It's like I often say – I don't know if I've said it on this podcast. Maybe I shouldn't say often. But I, when I'm talking with people, I'm like it, the Democrats, if they had any appreciation for the psychology of slippery slopes, they'd have my vote maybe in every election. But they don't de- – that's, that's my biggest issue with them. And then, you know, the corruption in these two parties, that's a whole nother thing. But outside of that, like that's, that's my biggest issue with them because they have no demonstrated ability to understand that. And then with Republicans, fucking everything's a slippery slope and you can't change a goddamn thing. I think that's ridiculous. So like if we had an ability to appreciate that there's these slopes, we have to recognize they're there and navigate them ahead of time as we head slightly down some stuff, we could fix things. But I think human nature says we're actually not able to do that when we get into large groups of people. Right. They're always like 10 steps ahead. Yeah. Like you, yes. you have to beat yeah. them to that slope, you know? Yeah. You have to beat them before they contradict themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't – I feel bad sometimes. I don't have a – it's the one downside of doing this. Like we talk about it, but I don't have a solution for you. People listening, I'm open to ideas. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I just don't – it's not like we're going to do this and that's going to fix it. I, Bro, and then I'll shut down things that could fix it. Like people talk third party. My first reaction is, yeah, good luck with that. It's true. That's my reaction. I'm like, not going to happen. I shouldn't be like that, but right. that's my reaction. You think you're going to lose half your fan base after you know some of these takes? Cancel culture? No, I think my my fan base appears to be made up of people who are moderate liberals and moderate conservatives. Realists. Yes. And then there are – I do have some fan base that's like a little leftist and some fan base that's ultra conservative. It's on the outer edges. But what I find based on the interactions I have with those people and DMs and stuff, what I find is that – they are the type of people who hold those beliefs and have a self-awareness to the idea that they want to hear all ideas. Right. And I appreciate the fuck out of that. Yeah. And I always point to this example, but like Terrence Jones and Mike Spear, who are two guys I have on here who are very clearly left and very clearly right. Goddamn, would our country be a better place if guys like that were in all those positions? Because mm. they'll talk. They're humans. They're real. I don't know if the positions would change them. I think it could change anyone. I hope it wouldn't. But they'd have to surround themselves with the right team. Yeah, and they're very cl- you know they're not going to agree on much. Yeah, they're very different, but they have a nice way of going about it. They yeah. recognize that they don't always have to be right. You know, that's just hard to find. I do like that some of the listeners who are like them have found this show. So that's cool. But yes, the majority of my audience, to go back to the original point, falls in that middle spectrum. That's just – I mean to me, that's that's a huge win. The question is 
and this is where I'm a hypocrite based on your question earlier about would I run for office, and I said never. The question is, will people like that look to upend the system by doing things like that and running for office? And if they did, how would they run for office? Yeah. Are they going to do it with the R or the D? Like, I don't know, man. It's... I get stressed out thinking about this stuff because I don't have an answer for you. Now, do you think, um, and again, it's me genuinely asking this because I have no knowledge on how money works in that regard, but you know, having a realist, quote-unquote realist, in office who surrounds himself with a team that believes him or her, surrounds himself or her you know, with the team that believes in that same idea, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make mistakes, and it's okay. Does that lose money initially would it take everyone who works in congress everybody who works in the capitol everybody who works in washington and has those connections would that take a while for them to adjust and be like huh what he's saying and what he's actually doing his actions are actually correct and it's actually bringing the nation together the problem is money that's what i'm saying like is that gonna be a big dip what do you mean big dip Again, like I don't really know how that works. Like, because the way politicians and the way Democrats and Republicans and red and blue and all that's navigated, it's not to help the country, it's to yes. make money. Yes. Do you think in actually bringing the country together, at least having that mindset as a president, do you think, you know, they do that with knowing that you're going to lose a lot of money? I think I understand what you're yeah. saying. I think I have the theme of what you're – we're talking in a lot of complex terms today, which is good. It's good. That makes me think. I hope it doesn't – Again, that's a curious question. Yeah. I have no idea how money works in politics here's sometimes. The, here's the issue. The larger the group of people required, the more potential holes in the ship. Okay. All it takes is one rat. So if I have to have 100 people around me directly – one of them has to fuck the wrong person at yeah. night. One of them has to commit the wrong negligent crime that no one finds out about except the person who can hold it over them. Mm -hmm. One of them has to be somebody who's playing the long game and is literally just getting on the inside to see what it is and has the wrong intentions. One of them has to be the person that has some sort of ulterior motive whether it's self-created or created from something out of their control that has to do with who they are as a person or actions they've taken in the past or at this time one person has to be that way to sink the entire ship and so if you are starting a movement of we're going to be moderate every single person that you're not doing it alone every single person on your team can't just be vetted they have to be completely Without fault, which also this example goes to show you why every group, including the people we point to as the established good groups, has issues because humans make mistakes. Humans have things that are wrong. Humans do things that other they don't want other people to know about. And there's ways to then hold that against them. I mean, look, that's how the CIA uses leverage on everyone around the world. <laughs> They'll dig for stuff that happened 20 years ago, too. Irrelevant shit, that's too. It. And yet. Guess what? Even though I have a lot of issues with certain things the CIA does, I also recognize there's some good they do. How do they do that good? Do they do it by just saying, we're going to be good today and go 
save the world and fix it straight. No, they, they have to go get intelligence. How do they get intelligence? They get leverage over people. Yep. It's, how, it's not just the CIA. I'm picking on the CIA. It's everything. It's, every, it's business. It's, of course, politics. It's friendships. That's how it's always worked, too. Yeah. I don't think it was ever a clean slate, except for the time when it, like, before Christ, when everything started in the world, you know? Would you fuck with the person if they had nothing? Few people will answer that question and say yes. Define that more. What do you mean? Why does someone work for a congressman? It's a broad question. I'll answer it. What I'm looking for. They work for him because they're a congressman. They have a set of beliefs. If they weren't a congressman, but they just had those set of beliefs, would they work for him? Most of them probably not. So what's in it? Mm. They don't have the congressman or congresswoman title. Right. It's a trickle effect up and down society with that. What holds weight? Yes. And so to get a utopian group of people who just are literally the Mother Teresas of what they're trying to do. And like Mother Teresa, great lady. I think she's a saint, right? I don't know. I'm not up with that, but should be. I guarantee you she did some things in her private moment she wasn't proud of. Think of the best people. And I don't don't need to draw bad attention to Mother Teresa. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not, you know, whatever. I'm just saying. Nobody's perfect. There's no such thing as utopia. And so people are going to gravitate towards things where even if they're doing it with the right intentions, there's still a reason that they did it in the first place. It's why they work for the congressman who thinks we have to change this issue versus working for the homeless person who also thinks we have to change that issue. Yeah. One actually can do something for me in the long run. The other probably can't. That's you. And there's no, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That is a part of life. But to get new thought processes into the spectrum and to get momentum money behind it you gotta you need a perfect situation and that probably doesn't exist and even if you didn't have that it's gonna turn imperfect it's like anyone that starts it they may you said it earlier 30 percent get in get in for the right reasons and i said that was kind i might even take that back and say maybe that number is not wrong maybe it's actually right maybe 30 percent of people that go to washington go there wanting to do the right thing yeah the percentage that then become everything they hate is unconscionably high it's unbelievable when you think about it too and i think it all stems from all the way at the beginning you know like what you went through as a child how you reacted to it how you reacted and adapted to failures in your life and how that shaped your mentality moving forward because there's a lot of people who get into that and think like i'm gonna do this because of me because you're insecure about something something's there like you need that attention like you need that verification and that validation to say like i'm doing this you know you tell people like this is what you want to hear and people buy in be like oh great guy but you're doing it for you secretly and that's again i think 70 percent of politicians who just sit there and watch it happen that's what it's all about while at least 30%. And again, it could be less. Maybe it could be more. Who knows? We really don't know. We're just speculating. 
um, people who actually do it for the right reasons because they want to help the country. They want to help people around them. They want to help their community. But it's all about how you react to failure because everybody fails. You fail. I fail. You know, you're going to look back five years at, at this interview right now and think like, man, wh- whether it's the conversation we had, the takes you gave, the takes I gave, the setup, you know, the camera angles, everything, you're going to look back and be like, man, like I could have done so much better there. Like you have to fail even if you don't realize that you're failing in the moment to That's get better. That's a key distinction. Yes. Right. You know, like it's easy to say like, okay, in the moment, probably shouldn't have said that, could have done better there. And you learn. And it's another thing to look back at it down the road and be like, man, like, if I didn't get that, I wouldn't be here. Like, Mother Teresa isn't levitating above the rest of us. Like, she wasn't brought down from the skies and just levitated above everybody. Like, she had mistakes early on in her life, even though people might not know it. And she adapted and she used those failures and mistakes and some of those, I don't want to say dark times, but things that she'd consider maybe sinful. I guess I'll use that word from other course. Teresa. She was a human being. Right. And yes. she learned from those and took them and used those experiences to help other people. That's what makes her great. While other people might take their failures and use those insecurities as hate. What was it you said like 60 seconds ago? Just the phrase you put it about people doing things for themselves. Do you know what you said? I'm sorry. I'm putting you on the spot. People like in what regard, like talking about. When they take actions on things, they're getting into it for themselves. And then you were right. saying they get it in for the wrong reasons because they're insecure about who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. Like they need that validation yes. and that verification for whatever reason it might be, you know? Like they just feel underappreciated. Maybe they feel swept under the rug in a sense. They, they deserve this power for themselves. They're not necessarily doing it for the right reasons, right? I think a thing that we need to recognize in that though. Is that the next extreme to that is that, oh, to, you know, the best people are the people who do nothing for themselves. There is not a single person who has ever walked this earth who in making a decision to do something, have there been, are there one-offs? Yes, there are one-offs. But I'm saying like across the span of their life in overall major decisions of actions that they took over periods of time, there is not a single person that did those actions where it didn't have at least some element of being for them because they have to do it. They have to, that person is the person taking the action, whatever it is. I started this podcast. Did I start this just for other people? No, no, no. Is that a huge benefit of it? And something that is a huge piece of why I started it? Absolutely. But is it 100%? No, I do. I enjoy doing it. It's what I want to do. I don't want to be an accountant. Not that I was an accountant, but I'm saying like, I wouldn't want to do that. That's not me. So I still want to do it that way. Like Mother Teresa, let's go back to that example. She helped out poor people, lived poor, walked the talk, the whole nine. Did she do it all for poor people or did she do part of it because it made her feel good too? Yeah. Of course she did part of it because it made her feel good. That's a beautiful thing. But like, we shouldn't shy away from that. No. The difference is, Are you doing something all for yourself and giving no fuck about the long-term effects that has on everyone around you? That's where it gets... Again, to kind of go back to my cup analogy, like you have to fill your own cup in order to fill other people's cups, right? Like you need to take care of yourself before you can even have the mindset and mentality to help other people. 
Like if you're in a depressive state, you're not feeling your best. Like how can you help other people? Like it takes a strong person to be in a dark place and be like, you know, make selfless decisions to help other people. But like in a selfish way, if you're in the right mindset and you take that time to build yourself, do what you want to do in the long run, you're going to influence and help all other people because you're in the right state of mind to do it. Agree a thousand percent. Right. So you, in a weird way, you have to be selfish in order to be selfless. Has anyone ever like talked with you about that on your show extensively? Um, I've only brought it up a few times, you know, when you talk to, I guess I'll call them mental health coaches because mm. you try to get inside their brains, like why you do what you do and, you know, talking about how, because again, some people disagree with that, which I think, I think that's almost clearly a fact that you need to help yourself before you can help others. Because, like, you could take out your insecurities on someone, you know, like, not everybody does it, but, you know, you, you see it across the world. People will take out their own frustrations on people, their own garbage, and dump it on other people, you know? Like, yes. an example, you, you could get into a car crash with someone. Yeah, that sucks. Everything else, like, that person could be in a bad state of mind, you know? Like, could have gone through a divorce, you know, your spouse cheated on you, you just got fired, you know, like a lot of other factors come into that and they just take their shit out on you as opposed to just being like, okay, that happened. How can we handle this? I think that's most things. Yeah. I, I actually, I think that's kind of everything. I, even people who end up being evil, right? I don't, I don't think people are born evil. I think they do have to become that. They can become it very early. They can be more predisposed yeah. to it. I don't think they're born evil. But like you think of the worst people in human history, the actions they took that are unconscionable were a response to things that they deemed unconscionable, even if they were totally false. I mean Hitler blamed an entire loss of a war on a group of people who had nothing to do with it. Right. And then he learned to believe it and then said, well – we're going to solve it by getting rid of them. Horrible. Like and the that's worst thing very ever. dangerous because he actually did force himself into believing that exactly. fact. Exactly. Not a fact, but he forced himself into believing yes. it was a fact. Yes, I know. There's an example. I know yeah. exactly what you were saying and some asshole could say like, oh, the fact. Yes. Right. It's. I could have walked in here without eating anything before I woke up today and one thing could have set me off and be like, oh, that Julian Dory is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you did nothing wrong. It's just my state of mind yes. and I'm taking it out on you. I'm yes. taking my insecure moment out on someone else because I don't want to place the blame on myself. Micro to macro. Micro yeah. things happen all the time. When you let them build on top of each other and over and over and get to an ideology, that's where you have an issue. And, and I think to bring it full circle, I think that's where we have a problem politically because we've allowed those micro things that started, which were these two ideals at the beginning of the country in history, to then grow into these giant, as Jim Diorio would say, follow the money campaigns. Yeah. You know? And it's like, well, somewhere along the way, we started to let that happen. Same thing like when they're talking about fiscal policy and we see what they're doing, all the banks around the world are doing all the currencies. It's because one day someone was like, all right, let's get out of this crisis. You know, we'll just inflate it a little bit. Ah, yeah, no, no. we'll deal with that five years from now. Yep. Five years later, oh, we'll deal with that. There's that slippery slope again. There it is. And Contradict yourself, you get out of it. And guess what? That's not a political thing. Everyone's Everyone does part, it. Everyone's been a part of that. You, you ain't running from that. You're all at fault. Nope. You know? But they, you know, they let shit like that start somewhere. I'm very curious about that. 
like when I talk with people and I try to get into how they got to where they are, like with why they think about something. I don't know if you do this when someone's sitting across from you, but I, I try to piece it together. Maybe not while I'm talking with them, but after we've done the episode and I'm like listening to what they said again, I'll try to piece together like, oh, right. Those experiences right there really started that. Like when you unravel everything, dating back to whatever it was that put you in the mindset, this is what I'm going to do. Like, again, like you starting this podcast, it's a passion thing, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. a passion project that you want to turn into your, I want to say business, but the thing that you do. Yeah. Your occupation. It's it's absolutely what you do for a living. Um, like what made you want to do that when you unpack everything? Like you'd say, oh, this is a passion thing, but we talked about you wanting to be number one, right? Like, what does that stem from? Why do you, why are you driven to be the best at what you do? Is it to prove to people something or is it just to prove to yourself that I got one life and this is how I want to go after it? Like what drive, like what, where does that drive come from? It's much more number two. I think everyone has a slight element of number one. It's how you're viewed by your peers in that way. I think I certainly have a slight element of that. If you're Michael Jordan and no one knows that you're Michael Jordan, does it really matter that you were Michael Jordan? Maybe, maybe not. So there's an element of that. But yeah. yeah, the element for me is is the main element is the latter, which is the competition with yourself to challenge yourself to be great. I, I, I love greatness in people. And one of the things that I didn't realize was that in my last career, I, like I never thought of myself as being able to be great at something. And like... Now I'm, I at least have a vision of something that I want to be great at, Yeah, but I don't know what greatness is. I've never had it. I've never captured it before. So hopefully I get there, but I was always looking for it in my last career. I was looking for the thing, you know, when whoever you came across, there's the thing that they have. I've talked, I talked about this with my friend Shan on this podcast. We had a good conversation about it. A couple other people, I think too, but like you can't explain it. You don't know what it is. It's not like one thing, like thing, thing, but you meet someone, you see someone do something, you're like, oh, they got it. Like you watched, you watched Jordan go through the lane the first time you knew basketball and I wasn't alive when that happened, but there had to be a part of you who goes, oh, that's different. That is different. You know, you, you see shit like in our industry, you watch Rogan sit down with someone for 10 minutes and actually focus on it. You realize, oh, fuck, wow, that was 10 minutes. Oh, he's got it. You know, like you can point to this stuff. And I never thought about whether or not I could ever be capable of whatever it was. Mm -hmm. You know, and so now there's a part of me that says like, okay, well, I'm not there, but I'd like to earn the ability where other people can say. So this is where other people come in too. Right. Like, oh, he's got it. But for me, it starts with the, I know I got it. So how do I get to the point where I can say, oh, I know I got it. Which is That's also, the true success. Yeah, it's also right? dangerous though too because you don't want to be like, oh, I got it. You know what I mean? Like, There's a difference yeah. between confidence and cockiness for yes, sure. Yes, yes. But like you were talking about greatness. Like you said you haven't achieved it yet. You know, like that could, you know, go back to people saying like, well, what do you define as success? What do you define as greatness? Some people are content and very fulfilled at being a stay-at-home parent. Like to them, that is their greatness, right? As opposed to someone saying, 
I want to be known as the number one guy who ever did whatever I do, whether you're an athlete, musician, filmmaker, actor, businessman, whatever you're doing. Like, you want to be the number one and you want to be known for it, right? You want people to acknowledge that. Would you say that your, you know, definition of greatness would to be that, be number one at what you did and have people acknowledge or just to be satisfied in what you're doing? Yeah, if there were a way that you could leave that kind of legacy when you're gone, but yeah. people didn't have to know it was you, that would be really cool to me, but that's not possible. Your name's going to be attached to stuff. Again, so you, like you're, yeah. you're the guy that wanted to be behind the curtain, but yeah. at the same time, be the greatest of what you did. I, It's probably, that is probably my insecurities talking more than anything, because I'm very aware of the fact of how unbelievably not perfect I am. And it's scary because you think of these gods in society as like, oh, that's them. They're, mm -hmm. they're the thing. And I'm like, well, I'm not that. But in reality, no, they're not. I mean, yeah, people watch The Last Dance. Michael Jordan was far from is far from perfect, right? Like he's got all his flaws. Still, Michael Jordan. There's nothing wrong with that. So, like, it's a weird thing when you're like in the middle of, oh, am I going to chase something? Being that guy for whatever it is. Yeah, it's a very weird thing to think about. Some people they want to just have clout and do stuff, and I guess that's what they're going after. You're not going to make it very far. I don't that's know what your, that. Yeah, that's your drive. I, I don't know what that does. Chasing like that's as easy as someone starting a show and 20 episodes in not getting the viewership they thought they were gonna. Like I, I'm on camera now. Why aren't people watching? And then they just quit because that drive isn't strong enough. Your why has to be a lot stronger than I want people to look at me. Because you haven't found your identity. I'd say at that point, if that's what you're going after, if you're starting with attention. You started in the wrong place. You have to, and this is with anything. It's not a podcast. It's with anything. You you have to start with an intention. Yeah, that's why you were asking about vision and stuff. And I had a lot of trouble answering that because it's a complex answer to me. But the main broad point I gave you is true, and that's you know giving people a space where they sit down and they're there, right? Mm -hmm. If I started with a how can I get the most eyeballs on this right away? That doesn't happen. Who cares? That vision doesn't come to exist because I'm going to try to do things that then are totally concocted. It's like, well, what would that even be? And that'll only last for so long. That'll fizzle out quick. Remember that Fred guy? Maybe that's the point exactly. No. <laughs> wow. So I guess, how old are you? 20, 28. Yeah, you're not that much older than me. So there was this kid with a really high-pitched voice that was always like, Hi, I'm Fred. Like, big YouTube guy. Probably the same years as, like, that iCarly show was on. On Nickelodeon. Maybe if you showed me, I'd remember. I'll, I'll pull it up. Keep going. I'll, I'll pull up a picture of him. I got you. But, um, oh, that's good. Perfect. He was huge. Probably the number one YouTuber in America. He did endorsements with John Cena um, he did so much for himself early on, and now that he's an adult, his voice got deeper, his shtick was gone, and he's nobody now. I mean, not nobody. Like, if you look him up, he's still like, oh, I remember Fred, that guy. Fred Figglehorn? That's the guy. Yeah, he's on YouTube, so I can't play him, but... Do you know who I'm talking about, though, yeah. now that you see his face? Yeah, I, I never really watched this stuff at all, so No, neither did I, but, like, I knew who he was well, when I was face. seven, eight, nine years yeah. old, right? And now it's like he's older. He has no platform. Like, like yes, he's a public figure because of what he did. But now he's 
He's not on YouTube. He's not doing the same thing because he didn't grow on it. He didn't adapt. Mm. Right? That's key. He had a niche, and then when that niche was taken away, he didn't know how to handle it. You know what the really lucky thing about what we do is? It's that a part of our job is following where the culture goes. Yeah. Talk about the things that are relevant. We are forced to adapt strictly by what's happening in the world. No, literally, and there's other things to adapt, like styles and getting better at stuff. You have to do that. But I'm saying, like, literally nothing else. Like, as long as you do the basics of getting better at your craft, the only adaptation is what's going on. And let's make it relevant. Yep. And let's talk with people who are doing things that are relevant to whatever this year is. Yep. When you are just creating some sort of content and you have a shtick, it's got a phase, man. And once that phase runs out, you better have something else to go to. Right. I mean, I see it like that when I was on TikTok in early 2019, seeing the early people have success there. I see people fade because they can't adjust on things. They get really famous for one stupid, usually right. stupid thing. And now they're sad to go look at their accounts. They have 10 million followers and they can't buy 10,000 views because they – their, their moments. That's gone. a bad look too. It's a bad look. And then there's there's other people. There's one I'm not going to say yet because I'm talking with him and he's going to come on here. But there's other people who are very aware of making a shift, and they're willing to give up some attention for the time being to build the next facet to adapt to reinvent yourself. And they have a real talent behind it. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's why this guy I'm thinking of. That's why I want to have him on because. He's in the middle of doing it, and he's really fucking good. Right. Very few people do that because they can't understand why, oh, my God, I had your attention. Why do you not want it now? They don't realize that things get old. You can't just do the same fucking thing. There has to be some sort of like, oh, there's a newness to this. There's a new feeling. Oh, 100%. I mean, unless you're Guns N' Roses and you're playing Paradise City every night for 35 years, like... I can understand that. Like, if you're making the same paycheck you have been for 35 years, keep on doing what you're doing, brother. But, like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There's so many people out there who find the thing that makes them special, and then at one point in time, it's going to fizzle out because people have seen it over and over and over again, no matter what you're doing. And if you can't adapt, if you can't reinvent yourself, and if you can't tell yourself, like, I have to, like, I have to gamble here. I have to take a risk. This might work. It might not. But either way... You're either going to fail continuing to do what you do or you're going to fail going after a new version of yourself. And more likely than not, again, staying true to yourself, that's kind of been the theme here. If you go and take that risk and believe in yourself of what you want to do, it usually works out one way or another, whether it takes time or whether it's an instant hit with people. And I think that's actually the issue because it's one thing to say it. Like, oh, yeah, just do what you like and, and be yourself and that's it. But one of two things usually happens. And this is why people don't break through in a lot of things or why people in their business of choice, whatever it is, work for people their whole career. And I'm not – I'll touch that one in a second because I, I don't think that's fair to say and give that the wrong connotation at all. But I'm saying for people that want to go out and like – do it themselves or like be the head of whatever it is they do or take control of their destiny with it. They either end up being what they think is themselves, but it's what they actually just think other people want to hear or see or the product other people want to hear or see and or 
they don't have the fortitude to just literally continue and go about the process. Like the whole blowing up overnight. 99.99999% of businesses and people don't blow up overnight. There's 10 years before their overnight success or whatever it is, a year, five years. There's a period of time where you got to have nothing and not get rewarded for what you do. But the first grouping of people that are just doing what they think other people want, I think a lot of people come by that honestly. They're not trying to be that way, but that's that's how they are. You know, like when I started doing this, one of the things that made me be like, okay, I got something right was when my friends were coming to me like, God damn, like, you sure you want to put yourself out there like this? Like, this is how you are. But I'm like, yes, that's exactly why. Like, the, you're hearing the same thing on here as I am with you. They're like, yeah, but like, you sure? Like in today's society, I'm like, yes, that's what I want. If people don't like it, no problem. They don't have to listen. But that was a big fear of mine. Like, oh, am I changing when the mic comes on? Like, I don't know. And now, now I know what that looks like. Now oh, yeah. I know if, if that were to happen. And I also picked a medium where you really can't do that. If you're talking with someone for three hours, good luck trying to be something else. Like it's, I think you could fake it for a half hour. I, I definitely think you could do that, but just bending around for three hours, wherever the fuck, I don't, I don't know that that's possible. No, you'll get quickly exposed, which yeah. is why I respect your platform so much because I'm going to use the term again, you know, cooking people in the sense of, you know, like you, you could cook a steak for 10 minutes at Denny's and be like, here you go. But like, you, you got to slow cook something like a ribeye that takes time. That takes like a good half hour to marinate and grill and it's got to be good, right? Yeah. That's how you're going to get stuff out of people by, again, making them comfortable in that regard and to kind of touch back on, you know, being a real version of yourself and putting yourself out there as you because you know who you are as opposed to someone thinking that they know who they are, wanting to be someone who they want to be, but that's not really who they are. Like that'll fizzle out quick, you know, like the, the, the big question here is how disciplined are you? To get to where you want to be and who you want to be, right? While staying true to yourself. And because you're either going to determine this is who I am and I'm going to keep going down this route no matter what anybody thinks. Or you're going to be who you are and people are going to be like, I don't like that. And they're going to be like, yeah, that was stupid. You know, that sucked. And then you're just going to revert back into being this fake ass bitch that just cowers to everybody's move because that's that's the status quo. That's what people want you to be, you know? I, what I what I want to be careful with, though, anytime I'm talking about something like this from like a personal experience is that we tend to then weaponize it as to people who don't want to do something on their own or start something or like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That's not the case, man. People have to be really honest about what they want. So I know some of the happiest friends I know are talented guys who make solid money and like they never want to start something on their own. They married when they were 25 and they married the love of their life. You know, they married someone they were with for eight years. Love that. They're very comfortable in their skin. They're happy. They know where they are. They know where they want to be. They have their priorities in life. To me, that's the dream. Even if they do it differently than I ever would want to, that's because I'm me and they're them. But that doesn't make me right or them right. It's, no. it's, all, it's a very, very personal thing. And I think a lot of times we start to create this whole well if you're not at the top of it then what's the point and that's not 
that to me is completely unfair. And I'm, and there's a lot of people listening right now who I'm sure are not in their head going, fuck yeah, because I, I love my life. I work here for this company or whatever. I get to do this. I have this life at home. Like, that's amazing. Good. That's exactly what you should go for then. You know, and th- there are a lot of people that try to separate society in that way. And, and it's not right because society is supposed to be made up of all different types of people who play all different types of roles. It doesn't mean that like, you know, you want to encourage someone to just be a trash man, but maybe there's someone out there who fucking loves that job. That's okay. Yeah. That's great. And if they make enough money and they're smart with it and, and they got a a good husband or good wife, whatever it is. Awesome. You know, like to me, I, I, I always try to check that because like even I'm sure sometimes when I say things, it can come across the other way and I don't want to do that because it's not, it's not representative of culture itself. That said, there are a lot of people who do think that they want or maybe actually do want to do something on their own or start something and they're just not built for it. In that sense, though, what you just said. Like, do you surround yourself with people? Do you trust the people that you surround yourself with enough to actually take their advice on that? Like, maybe you're not cut out for this. Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, and I was, even if you like deep down in your heart, like, I'm being almost called to do this. Like, I have to accomplish this. And everybody's around you saying, like, like, you tried. Like, we support you in anything that you do. We'll support you if you keep trying. Just know that, like, you could be doing something so much better. That's one of the hardest situations there is. And I haven't had to face that. I hope I never have to. No, you're still young. That means I probably won't be good enough at whatever it is. But there is such a balance between conviction and criticism. And then there's even a balance between criticism and doubt. And then there's a balance between doubt and reality. And these are all some of the finest lines out there. And I think it's the hardest thing to be self-aware of. And I can't say if I am or I'm not as a result. Mm. I'd like to think on some things I do have a massive self-awareness. But overall, all four of those or three of those that I just mentioned combined together, I don't know that anyone has the ability to have 100% self-awareness. So it is a risky walk in that way. But <sighs> it's hard because you kind of have to, again, to go back to validation in a sense. You know, I asked you earlier if five years from now your platform didn't really grow. Like you looked at that as, okay, the, uh, my audience saw what I was doing. It didn't work out. It wasn't good enough. wasn't good enough. Period. Where some people might say I have to accomplish what I have to accomplish or else what's the point? You know, like I put in all this work. This is what I love to do. And I have to accomplish it or else – like I will accomplish this or I will die trying in that sense, right? And that, to, to kind of touch on that, you're saying that you're kind of blind in that sense. You're not seeing the wider picture. Like you're chasing something that just people aren't reacting to. People aren't – No, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I, that would be taking it too far. Yeah. That's, that's not <sighs> – I don't – it's hard for me to answer because I've only ever been in my head. Mm-hmm. I only know how I see the world. Exactly. And what my 
thought process is, my capabilities, my lack of capabilities. I don't know what it's like to actually fully be someone else and how their wiring and their brain is and how it's different. Right. So it is very hard for me to sit here and say, this is how it is. And so I won't say it like that. I do think that far more often than not, if there is something, I mean, you have to have some talent. There's got to be some. And and this is a really mean way to put it, but like, if you're in a wheelchair, you're not going to go to the NBA, right? That's a reality. There has to be a level of possibility to it, I guess, is the real word I'm looking forward to or, or looking for. But if that is the case and you have some ability in it, I do believe that a significant percentage of the time, if you are actually serious and willing to die for it, you know, quote unquote, then you probably are to a, to an extent that is enough. Have you probably have a ceiling that is good enough to make it quote unquote and whatever that is. And however the term make it is assuming it's at least fair and not ridiculous. Like I'm going to be the next Marlon Brando. As long as it's not like number one in the world in that sense for everyone, then I think that people will break through because hungry dogs will find a way to eat to survive. That doesn't mean it's going to be true every time. And the reason I think it is true though more often than not is because in order to actually be that crazy and rabid about it, you Deep down, beyond just what you've convinced yourself of, you actually have to believe that you have the talent. And that's where one of those fine lines is because do I think some people can literally fully honestly convince themselves that they do and they just don't have any of it? Yes. But I think time, the longer the time you do it and the more iterations and the more ability to face failures and find measurable improvements on top of that that you have – the more inevitable that self-awareness will become. And by self-awareness, meaning realizing whether or not you have the minimum threshold to actually make it or not. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you'll look back at the first podcast you ever did and compare it to now and be like, okay, I'm definitely way better than I am than when I started. Yeah, I can even watch And if you look back at, you know, episode 100 compared to episode one and think like, hmm, I kind of have the same mannerisms, still as monotone as I was during episode one, still not comfortable in front of a camera, then yeah, you got to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, am I cut out for this? Like there's that old quote, like if you, um, if you want to succeed as much as you want to breathe, then you will succeed. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, if you're not getting any better and you can't see it and everybody around you sees it and they're watching you slowly decay and like almost killing yourself in a sense, trying to get it over like that's that's a dangerous position to be in. There are outliers sometimes. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I'll here's one I was dead wrong about, dead wrong about it, and I'll give him all the credit in the world. And I never said it publicly because it was long before this podcast. But I said it to people, and I'll correct the record all the time. I was always very obsessed with the fact that so many people with attention are the last to know. Mm. So. The athlete himself or herself is the last to know they've lost a step. Right. They're the last to realize 
you know, I was scoring 30 points a night. Father time has gotten to me and I can really only be effective at that level scoring 21. And so they still try to be the guy scoring 30 a night. Right. And it actually hurts the team because they're over-maximizing what they can actually do. Yeah. And so one guy that I say is an outlier here, and this is why it's important to say, is Carmelo Anthony. When Carmelo Anthony went to the Rockets two years ago, two, two, three years ago, whatever it was, and the Rockets famously, whatever the big story was, they cut him after 10 games. I would say, unquestionably the data, because they were a big analytics team, and also the eyes said that they were 100% right to do that. Carmelo Anthony looked cooked. He could still knock down down a shot because the guy's an incredible scorer. But when I tell you he was the worst defensive liability I have ever seen above the height of five foot ten on an NBA floor, that's putting it kindly. And if you went and looked at the data analytics of his defense, I mean James Harden coming back from the strip club and walking straight onto the court in game forty five of a regular season game was significantly better at defense than Carmelo Anthony. Mm-hmm. So I looked at that and I saw Carmelo putting out all these tweets like, oh, I'm going to train, I'm coming back, whatever. And I was like, here's another example. He's the last guy to know. He was a great player. We just don't have it anymore. He's not that guy. But to Carmelo Anthony's credit, and I would love to look him in the eyes one day and say, thank you for the inspiration for proving me 100% wrong. He went in the gym and changed certain styles about his game And also, I'm sure his body and physicality, even stuff we can't really see. And if you look at the analytics, he came back a year later. And his defensive analytics, he's he's like an average defender, which is fine because guess what? He's still a great offensive, very good offensive player. Mm -hmm. So any team can look at him and be like, oh, he's helping. So the Trailblazers signed him. He helped. Now the Lakers signed him for this season. As long as he hasn't lost a step again or whatever, he's going to help. Yeah, And yet, even though I say all that, he's the exception. Because most of the time, they just don't know. They don't realize that, like Allen Iverson, guy I love, he lost a step when he went to Detroit. We could see it. Then he signs with Memphis the next year, and he thinks he's AI. You know, 15 years dating back to when he was a great player in high school of being the smallest guy on the court and playing like the biggest dude and throwing your body around and putting the team on your back catches up to you. And so he's running around with the Grizzlies trying to be Allen Iverson. He's not Allen Iverson. And goddamn, it's 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 very hard to tell someone who already has tasted that that they're not that anymore. Right. Imagine how hard it is to tell someone they're never even going to have the chance. That's tough. Yeah, I I think you nailed it right on the head with Carmelo Anthony. I'll give you another sports, you know, example. Jorge Posada. I grew up a huge New York Yankee fan in northern New Jersey. Are you a Phillies fan? Yes, sir. Okay. So, just to clarify, um, Jorge Posada, great catcher in the prime of his career, right? Phenomenal. Six-time All-Star with the Yankees, 07, 08, 09, 2010. Is he in the Hall of Fame yet? No, he... Uh, in his first year on the ballot, didn't make the percentage, and they kicked him off the ballot. He only got 4% of the vote, so he's not even eligible anymore. Posada. Yeah. Crazy, right? That's criminal. Again, 
a crazy talent, probably one of the best catchers in baseball in the prime of his career. Towards the end, you could tell he just was not the same player, was not the same hitter. I remember in the prime of my formative years, I'm like, bases loaded, one out, who's coming up? Oh, fuck. Jorge. Always grounded into an inning-ending double play. It's like almost every single game. And it got to the point where, um, I I think it was Jose Molina was the backup pitcher. They made him the full-time catcher because Posada couldn't hack it anymore behind the plate. It became a full-time DH, but he still felt like he was good enough to be a full-time catcher. And I think everybody realized, even us watching at home at seven, eight years old, it's not the same player he was, probably in his prime. And it took him a few years to realize that to the point where after 2011, uh, his contract was up. And the Yankees were like, we're not going to re-sign you. Like, it was a great run. We appreciate and thank you for all the great times. Five-time World Series champion. But you're just not cut out for this. We have to go in another direction. He goes... If you're not going to resign me, I'm going to go play for someone else. And they're like, that's fine. We we can't resign you. And in that moment, he's like, oh, fuck, they're serious. And he looked at himself in the mirror, talked to his family, and he retired. Even though he still felt like he had plenty left in the tank, he finally finally hit him like a brick wall. Like, oh, my God, like they actually don't want me. It took an organization he loved having the heart to tell him. Look, we could pay the Yankees could afford to pay him a couple million dollars. Right, he's like, you're, you're bluffing. That's basically what he thought. You're but, bluffing. And but, it's like, that's fine. We can't. We're not going to invest in you anymore. And he's like, oh, is they don't. Real. They don't want to. You don't want to see someone bake out too long in the sun, especially when they mean a lot to your organization. You don't want that with friends either. Nope. It's a really weird. It's an uncomfortable thing but there's there's those lines i talked about and you have to have some sort of you have to be able to step out and be like all right this is not this has got to get better or like am i should i do that and like i question that stuff all the time and it tortures me but i'm thankful that i do because it's much better than the alternative maybe i wouldn't be tortured all the time but i'd be sitting there like going about life Going about what I'm With doing. No real vision or goal. And no Just happy to be there. No ability to self reflect and self criticize right. and try new things and whatever. Right. You know, and like people can have the best of intentions around you too and take you the wrong way. And like parents are so common with that. Parents' job is it's like to look out for you. You know, so they're they're more wired towards worrying on things. So like sometimes, sometimes my dad will have great criticism of the podcast and I'm like, oh, actually that's, that's, that's a good one. And it's like light. And then sometimes I'm like, no, you're out of your fucking mind. You have no idea what you're talking about. Cause he doesn't, you know, he's not in understanding oh, of yeah. the full demographics right. or whatever. And it's more from a place of worry. Like you have to take chances making content. You have to try things. And anytime I try something new. My dad, like something small, my dad would be like, no. And I'm like, if I don't try these things and sustain them, how am I going to know? And then over time, I get the show. I'm like, see, told you. Yep. And sometimes it's like, hey, that one, yeah, I stopped that. That didn't work. Yeah. But you have to, yeah, you have to do it. People will prevent you from just doing to learn. You know, like you have to, you have to iterate. Whether that be, you know, you talk about people who just go about every day, like, oh, I'm just going to go to the bar, hang out, no real goals, you know, 
if that suits you, that suits you. You know, like I, I consider that atmosphere, like me doing what I do and having a vision for what I want to do, like that would be a toxic crowd to be a part of. Because like they have no real goals. How am I supposed to get better if nobody like actually really cares what they're doing? But then there's, you know, the other side of things where like you're associating yourself with the people who were intended to help you grow. Like, not considered to be toxic people in that nature. You know, like, like-minded people who are giving you plenty of advice, but you kind of, like, outgrow each other. And that's a difficult mm. thing, too. Have you ever gone through something like that where, like, it wasn't necessarily like you were, like, in a bad relationship with someone, but, like, you just outgrew each other. I feel like that's yes. way more difficult than leaving a toxic environment. I agree. I think it's a case-by-case basis because yeah. there are people... <sighs> There's... Like some of my best friends. Yeah. Totally different priorities in life. Completely different priorities. Right. And they're my homies because they respect mine and I respect theirs and we're good. Right. Those are great friends. It's not have. a breakup. It's more yes. of like we understand where we're all coming no, from. No, no. Right? I'm even talking about where it doesn't change anything and you don't really? leave it behind at all. Like some of my best friends to this day, very, very different. I'll give my, my buddy Dylan. He and I, we think about plenty of things like similarly, yeah. like when we talk every single day of my life, like on, on some sort of small scale. But like you want to talk about someone who does things behind closed doors and is just no attention, just whatever, who doesn't, you know, he doesn't listen to fucking podcast. Right. Total opposite. But he respects what I do and I respect exactly. what he does. That's the key factor. And so we support each other on it and we can also both be like a little critical of like what one person's doing on stuff. And then also things that we do have in common about life and stuff like that. We always talk about that. That's great. The problem is a lot of people don't do it like that. Mm -hmm. A lot of people fade because they're like, man, why are you doing that? Because their way is right. Right. And you are at danger of being that way too. That's why I – Try to like always separate that and be like, listen, I'm doing this. Other people think that's dumb. So don't think that what they're doing is dumb because you're just doing the same thing if you do that. Yep. It's, it's hard. Sometimes, you know, I'm not perfect with that. I'm definitely, I'm sure there's sometimes where I don't notice it, where I judge on something because someone does it differently. And Right. It's a tough balance. But yeah. at the same time, like your perspective is not their perspective. Right. And you got to recognize that. Not I, everybody thinks the same way. I wish we could recognize that in politics. Just to tie a bow on that. That'll never happen, Julian. No. I don't like saying never, but I still say it sometimes. And I feel like that's, that's the one exception. Yeah. I mean, never say never, but never for a while. There are some weird things happening, though, right now. Like weird cyclones of like, <laughs> what's it called? Like an unholy alliance. Like now you see suddenly like BLM is allied with like ultra libertarians on the vaccine because now they have something in common and just latched onto like, them. Yeah. You're sitting back like, wait a second, <laughs> six months ago, even <laughs> you two wanted each other dead. Right. And now like we're so fucked up with so many different hills to die on that the latest hill will even push a cyclone of people around. Yeah. You know? I don't know how we got there, but you said something 
that just triggered yeah, you. Yeah, made me think of that. I have that capability sometimes. You you do, man. You, I I like what you do. I I like. I respect people that have been doing it a long time, and you. It's not like you've turned the full focus to it at this point. I hope that you do sometime soon. I know you're doing a lot of it, but like you do other things. And yeah, you're paying the bills in other ways, and right. this is like what you do for fun. But you know, you're a very curious guy, and. I guess a, a big question I would want to know is how do you decide overall who to talk to? I know you mentioned maybe it was before the podcast or on it. You were saying like obviously some people just get thrown your way and you're like, okay, whatever. That sounds interesting. I'll talk to them. But like when you're reaching out, when you're reaching out to me or you're reaching out to the guy who came before me or the guy who came before that. Yeah. Are you thinking of it in a pattern of like, well, I just talked to two people like this and so now I want to talk to this type of person. Or are you thinking of it like there's certain groups of people you want to talk to and others you don't? Or are you just kind of like, all right. Let's, let's uh, I think you have the capability to learn something from everybody. It doesn't matter if you're a broker if you're a host, you know, like us alike, if you're a homeless person on the street, you know, that might be a tough pill for some people to swallow. I, I think you could learn from everybody. So oh, when, I, yeah. when I see yeah. stuff, whether it be on social media, like I saw your content, started following you, started following what you did. You had one of my buddies on. I'm like, oh, like we, we have a mutual friend. I'm going to reach out because I want to pick your brain about what you do because – we're in that same realm. Like you're a very curious person. You you have a ton of beliefs that you go out of your way to showcase, you know, on a weekly basis. And you don't give an F what people think. And that's like that's inspiring, right? And I'd I wanted to pick your brain about some of that stuff because I loved some of the interviews that you've done. Uh, there's others. Yeah. Some people reach out to me and it's like, okay, I don't think I really want to have a conversation with that person. This other person sounds great. Like I, I definitely love to pick their brain about some of those acting experiences with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. Sure. Why not? Like there's definitely something there that you're proud of. Um, obviously other celebrities growing up watching like, oh, I'd love to get a chance to talk to them. And then we have a great conversation. There's some people I grew up watching that I had conversations with. They were total dickwads. Yeah. And now I know, you know, like some people are like, don't meet your heroes because you never know. Like, why, why not? Now you're exposed to it. Now, you know, oh, it's not all about that. You know, it's about being a decent human being, first and foremost. It doesn't matter what you believe in. doesn't matter what your religion is. doesn't matter what your your political stance is, you know, like be a decent human being. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Like, that's the only thing I look at at people. But yeah, I, I enjoy talking to people from all over the place. Growing up in sports, love talking to athletes, huge rock and roll guy, love talking to rock stars, love talking to actors, actresses, um, uh, human right, rights activists, talk to, um, uh, what was her name? Yeno Park wrote that book, uh, North Korean human rights activist. She was, she was actually, was she, was, on she was on Rogan. Yeah. Yep. Like, you talk just, with her? Um, very briefly, you know, she gave me about a half an hour of her time and I asked her what I was curious about, you know, not a comfortable conversation, but a conversation nonetheless. That's how you grow. Right. What did, what did she say with you? Uh, just basically talking about, you know, some of, I don't know if you watched that full interview with Rogan. I watched that full one. Talking about, you know, Kim Jong-un and how he displayed North Korea, like basically lying about it. Right. And how everybody was just starving there. People were being eaten as they were dying by flies and rats. Do you imagine witnessing that? 
It's one thing to imagine that. It's another thing to actually witness that as you're escaping. Like she did. And for her to go out of her way to write a book about it, and at the same time talk about it, and you could hear in the base of her voice how emotional she is about it, reliving those times constantly over and over again in these interviews. It was a tough, tough conversation to have. And in interviews like that, you know you have to ask the right questions and be pol like polite and respectful because it's sensitive stuff. But as an interviewer, um, you know, you have to take that into account, you know, read the book, you know, had to be well informed to know what is going through her mind and why she wants to promote it to the best capability as she does, because it's my responsibility as a host. Like, like you said, like you come on and like with people like me or other people that y you bring in here, it's easy to just have a conversation and we'll see where it goes. But like in that situation... You, you got to be prepared because it's easy to have a conversation about it if you're knowledgeable about it. But if you casually say one bad thing, it sets your, it sets your guest off and it comes off as disrespectful, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying with that. I, I In think, a situation like yes, that. I think there's an extent to which I've had a couple of those where it's some clear experiential stuff. Not on that level. And it's all not great like experiences, her. though. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying, like, for hers personally, not on that level. I do think there is an element of having – I'll agree with you. I think you have to have some preparation for a general understanding of where the evil exists or the wrong existed, whatever the situation is. In this case, we're talking about a government and country and, yeah. you know, a dictatorship – and having some understanding of what that is and not being completely blind to it. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you. I, I would, if she had resources available, if I were talking to her, yeah, I'd probably review a few of those before. Right. I, I, I think that's, I, I think when you're dealing to make your point again, I, I, I think when you're dealing with things that are so unbelievable, if you didn't experience them yourself in a, in a negative way, you have to do your best to have at least whatever possible empathy you could have for that ahead. Like even watching Rogan, he d did a great job with it, you know, give him all the credit in the world. But the amount of times he said, wow, that's crazy. Like, you, you know, like when someone says, wow, that's crazy. And you just think, oh, you're not that interested. It's like the quote unquote thing to say. I, I think that's just his nature. I, I didn't, I thought, I, I will say, I, I thought that was pretty masterful. On his part, the way that one went down. I see what you're saying. I, I, I agree. I don't think uh, yeah, he I, I, came off that way. I'm just saying that's kind of the general sense. Like if you and I were having a conversation, I just went, wow, that's crazy. And then there was dead air for five seconds. It's like, oh, was he really interested in what I was saying right there? I think it's sitting across from him and knowing if you're looking at him, if he is. Just There's people the who vibes, can look at you yeah. and go, wow, that's crazy. And look at you just like that. And like. They just said that because they're like, well, yeah. what can I say next? And then there's people who are like, wow, that's fucking crazy. Yeah. Wow. It, like, and that's, that, that's an MO of his. That's what he does. Right. I, I guess you have to feel out the vibe yeah, in the room. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. it's a vibe, but that's, that's really cool that you talk with her. And it's crazy to me that her story gets shut down, but it doesn't surprise me at all. It's just like. Follow the money, man. 
That's what it all stems back to. But yeah, like to answer your question, like interviews like that, like they're hard, but they help me grow. You know, like those are conversations I could look back on and be like, man, like I'm glad I had that conversation. I'm glad she walked away with it feeling, you know, respected. She got her points across and she actually like respected me enough to take the time to talk to me because that's what it's all about. You know, like getting to that next level in a sense, like we're talking about you wanting to be the best again at what you do. And eventually you're going to get to a point where you interview or going to want to interview bigger names just Mm -hmm. out of curiosity, ask Mm -hmm. them shit that they don't normally get asked, you know, whether they're on Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, all these tonight shows or on even Rogan, you know, like four hour platform. Like you want to ask them stuff that, they're not normally talking about that. That's what differentiates you as an interviewer, right? So it's fun getting to talk to all these different people. I, I would say this though, um, it has definitely take a longer time growing the show just because it didn't have a niche and that's by design, right? Like your show, you know, you talk to, you want to talk to a wide variety of people. I'm my the same only, way to my show. Yeah, My only niche is long form content. That's exactly. Right. There's no, like everyone's saying, oh, you got to have like if you're a real estate agent, you have to have a show based on that. That's how money's going to come quick and a loyal fan base is going to come quick. I'm like, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And starting young, I was able to do that. Yeah. Starting as a freshman in college, like I was making money elsewhere. So I had time to grow it. And by the time I got it out of school, get a studio, get a huge sponsor with a huge affiliation. And now we're rocking and rolling because I put in the time and effort and unknowingly, blindly. I'm like, I want to do a podcast because... I want to be a talk show host. Like it would be cool to have a platform to talk to people, be curious enough to ask them questions and selfishly learn more things that I didn't know, you know, cause again, going into it, I was just big baseball fanatic. I really had no knowledge on anything else. And I've turned into a completely different pe- person with a ton more, um, not just knowledge, but a general sense of awareness, I'd say. When talking to people like four years ago, I wouldn't be able to sit down and hash things out with you for three hours on anything that we've talked about so far. So it's partially because you're forced to be civil. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can't, you're not forced to. I, you could you could be an asshole. But people, especially when they're in the eyes of other people watching, you don't want to do that. Now, it doesn't mean if someone doesn't say some really stupid shit, you shouldn't come right back at them. I haven't had to do a ton of that in here, luckily, but I wouldn't hesitate for one second doing that. But if your disposition is more confrontational for the sake of getting a moment or just being that way to do whatever, hey, more power to you, but that's not that's not what I'm looking for, and obviously it's not what you're looking for. I'm curious, though, what is there anyone... Like, because you've done so many. That's why I'm thinking about this a lot. But was did did you ever have like a shocking guest? Like someone was like, oh, you got done, and you're like, holy shit! Like maybe not even for the right reasons. Good reasons or bad reasons? You know what? Both. Um, definitely. I interviewed Dave Matthews from the Dave Matthews Band, and. If you know anything about, like, his fan base, it's like a cult almost. Totally, yeah. My family being a part of that cult. (laughs) Um, Me, not necessarily, but I got to interview him at a festival one time backstage. And he just was in a bad mood, I think. Mm. Uh, Very unorthodox. An unorthodox fella, for sure. Um, Just the way he presents himself, the way he talks, just like... 
I don't know, not socially aware with some things. I don't think he's from America either. So, um, but I mean, I, um, I didn't get a memo that we weren't allowed to record audio for these. It all had to be pen and paper. Cause I was, uh, at a, I was, I had a press pass to write an article about the event. So everything I had to write down and then write it down on my laptop later. So for whatever reason, we weren't allowed to record audio. I, I still think that's weird because it's easy. It's easier to do that as opposed to writing everything down that they're saying. So I didn't know that. So I immediately put my phone like, you know, in his face, like just to record the audio, not like in his face, but just enough to where like I'd pick up his vocals mm-hmm. and I start asking him the questions I have prepped and immediately without any thought, just whips his hand out, knocks the phone out of my hand, completely shatters my phone. He's like, no, 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 we're not going to have any of that. I'm like, what's going on? And his publicist came up to me. She's like, we're not allowed to record audio. Did Nobody told you that? You shattered your phone? Not to the point where it was completely broken, but enough to where it it bummed me out. Cracked your Um, whole screen and everything. It didn't replace it. I just replaced my phone like two weeks ago. I dealt with that phone for the past year and a half. Completely he didn't shattered. replace it. He did not. It was never even offered by anybody. And I, I picked up the phone. I'm like, all right, sorry. It brought out a pen and paper, asked three simple questions. He didn't really give me any answers. And then he left to do his show. And I'm thinking like, what a dick. And I told my parent, I told my family about it. And they're just like, again, being huge Dave Matthews fans. Well, did you piss him off? <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> It was, was your it his, fault. Was it your body language? What, what did you do? Why'd you put the phone in his face? <laughs> did you not know there was any audio? I'm like, okay, relax. Oh my god. I, well, first of all, depending on the artist, it's never. I blame the publicist for letting him record an interview right before a show. That's a horrible idea for most artists. Right. Some, he's some not in the mindset care. to do some an interview, care. right? But, but people, still. people can be, especially like creatives, they can be weird. You know, like they're they have their. You ever seen Look Mom, I Can Fly? No. Travis Scott documentary? Oh, yes, yes, yes. One of my favorite documentaries ever, yeah. and it's completely not in the style I like. It's like literally a home video camera just following them, no narrative. Normally, like when I first started watching it, I was like, fuck this. I turned it off after three minutes, and then like six months later, I went in. I'm like, all right, let me try it. And mm. I'm like riveted because it was, it was so real. Yeah. But there's a scene in there that I think perfectly nails what it is sometimes where someone's not and i'm not saying this is what was happening with dave because that just you're sounds, in the cult too aren't you no i'm not at, at all but i'm saying that just sounds awful like what he did so maybe he was having the worst day ever maybe not but that just sounds bad but when it comes to like a level of like abrasiveness on certain things there's a scene in look mom i believe i can flirt i got the name wrong right yeah, there, there's a scene in Look, Mom, I Can Fly, which is that, that, that Travis Scott documentary. And he says he's standing in his, his hotel room outside of Madison Square Garden because he had a show there that night. And he has the head of production at Madison Square Garden standing right next to him. Now, mind you, this is like the cathedral of arenas in the world. Mm. This guy who's the head of production there is clearly one of the best in the world at what he does. Right. But Travis Scott is... If not the best performer in the world, he's one of them. And he is so exact with every little thing that happens Mm. for the experience. That's why people who go to his concerts, his concerts themselves are like a little cult. Because people, and I mean that in a positive way, people are just 
totally encaptured by what he does. He's been arrested for inciting a riot before when he didn't incite a riot because it's so insane. And so there was something with him being dropped down into the stage for a song with some sort of concoction and the lighting where the timing of the lighting coming onto him and the beam of it wasn't what he was envisioning. And so you see, I think he was like shirtless in his hotel room, Travis Scott, like not looking at anyone, just like talking like when I'm up there, that light's got to be coming on. Like you're going to hear me say bump. And then I need you right there going bump. And it's on like it's it's right there. And, and, and they if they're up in that part of stands right there, they see me coming down like boom, right in your face. Because if they come in like two seconds after it's fucked, it's done. Doesn't work. And you see the guy, the Madison Square Garden guy is being professional as hell. And he's like, no, I got you. I got you. And, and he's listening. And you're watching this and you're almost uncomfortable because you're like, this guy's being a dick right now. Like, holy shit. But then he just kind of keeps going and he's like, so that motherfucker's got to be on. Like that time in two seconds, just like I said, it's going to come on right here. I'm going to come down. We're going to hit the song. Boom. We're good. Then we're going to roll into the next one. And everyone's still looking at him and he's like, all right, you got it? We good? All right. Thank you. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you, man. Mm-hmm. And walks out and everyone understood it. It wasn't, yo, this guy's a dick. It wasn't, this artist sucks. Shut the fuck up. What do you know? I'm the pro. Stop talking to me like I'm a child. It was, no, this guy's just like really creative. And he's not thinking about how he's saying things right now. He is picturing this wild scene in his head. And he's passionate and just getting it out. And then at the end, it's like he ends his blackout and wakes up. And is like, okay, thank you. You're doing a great job. I appreciate you guys walks out and it's understood there's a difference between that and just being an asshole and being like a bad person and to me unfortunately it sounds again maybe he was having a bad day but that's fucked up no i understand it from a mentality standpoint like you have so much going on like you want it to be perfect like i would not want to put my phone in travis scott's face that day you know but like how easy is it for dave matthews just to be like hey man can't do that please put your phone away yeah very easy very easy. So that was a bad experience. Give me a good one now. Let's get a positive. Um, Rob Schneider, comedian, SNL actor. That's awesome. You know, part yeah. of that whole Sandler, Farley, Chris Rock era. Um, and again, like I gone, I was preparing for it, like kind of anxious. I'm like, he's a big name. Hopefully, he's not like. I didn't expect him to be an asshole, but like at the same time, you don't want him to be like, "Hey, man, what's going on? Thanks for having me." You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. all right, now I have to like set the stage, get him in his element. Right off the bat, he's like, Jack, handsome man, what's going on? <laughs> I'm like, yes, he's cool. That's this is going to awesome. be so easy. He, he basically was just like interviewing me. He's like, you play sports? I'm like, why'd you start the podcast? Everything. He's like, yeah, I'm out here in Nashville doing a set, you know, and, and we, got, we were talking about like bench warmers, you know, the baseball aspect yeah. of it. He's like, oh, yeah, getting Reggie Jackson for all of that. He's like, yeah, I'd love to do it. You know, like hitting uh, um, mailboxes in the back of a pickup truck for some of the scenes. Like he was just all about it. He's like, oh, dude, I had to ice my arm every single day. <laughs> and at the end of it. Was that the one where he's going... You can do it. Yeah. That's how we ended the interview. I'm like, oh, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks for being gracious enough to do it. We got to do this again sometime. He's like, absolutely, man. Keep doing what you're doing. Just remember, you can do it. And then he hung up the phone. And then he ended the Zoom call. I'm like, that was amazing. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, and he gave me so so much great advice. He's like, yeah, me and Spade are doing a movie out in Scottsdale where you're at at some point in the fall. Like, I'll give you the contact info for the producer. You should get on it, you know, on crew. Oh, that's You awesome. know, like, if, you, if you're a film major and that's something that you want to pursue, like, here, like, contact him. I'm like, thanks, Rob Schneider. Like, I, 
I didn't, again, didn't expect him to be a dick, but like I walked away from that inspired almost like you're a big yeah. name. You, you didn't have to be that kind to me, you know, like you didn't know who I was going in. This could have been just a standard interview and you were again, like in great enough of a mood to go out of your way and actually help me, like give me knowledge, you know, g- give me a bit of a, a lecture in a sense. So that was cool. You expected an aura. You kind of expect an aura sometimes. Like, okay, no they've done a million him. interviews yeah. before. Like, it's my job to ask questions that actually intrigue you. Another one, uh, Kobe Smulders. She was Robin Scherbatsky in How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Um, was in some of the Marvel movies as well. Her character is just like a stone-cold bitch in How I Met Your Mother. I'm thinking like, oh, she's going to be <laughs> – like, not mean, but again, in the same regard, just like cold at the beginning. Now It's going to be on me to start the conversation. She was so nice. Like That's the awesome. sweetest – I'm like just totally like lived up to like – again, like one of my favorite TV characters of all time. Like totally lived up to the aura. So nice. She's just like, oh, thank you so much. Asking her controversial questions about the show. Like, because the uh, the ending of the show is very controversial in a lot of people's eyes. And I came right at her. I'm like, you know, like the the ending of the show, you know, a lot of fans are kind of like wishy-washy about it. She's like, oh, a lot of people thought it sucked. Like, well, let's, <laughs> let, let's talk about it. And she was great That's about awesome. it. Like gave like an in-depth, like 10 minute response to it about how this is how it ended up. This is how the, the writers and the directors wanted to start it. And this is the solution we came up with. Like, and if you didn't like it, you didn't like it. You know, could we have done it differently? Yeah. But, you know, that's the way it was. Owning it. I love that. So, yeah. I mean, I've been fortunate enough, you know, again, I talked to some mental health coaches, some business entrepreneurs. Um, Sean Prez, who was the agent for P. Diddy for the longest time, just talking about all the shit he had to eat before he got to the point of where he is now as a big time, you know, music producer. Um it's just some of the stories that I've heard, I've walked away from like, oh my God, like I almost had to cancel today because I had to go to class or like wasn't feeling it mentally, like didn't start off my day right, you know, but then I go into a conversation and I leave inspired. Like that's what I aspire to do after every interview, leave walking away inspired and hopefully for some guests moving forward, maybe not some of those bigger celebrities, but for other people that I have conversations with, I want them to walk away with a similar experience. Yeah, you get there. And and people catch that vibe regardless of if you're just starting out or, or someone who has been doing it a long time like you. And you're also young too. So right away yeah. there's a judgment there. But then people are like, oh, that was, th- that was comfortable. That guy was cool. And, and that's – you know what? Most of them – that's even if they're not the best person, like that's they're still they're still a person. They, they have very basic, you know, certain things. There's there's just a different level of attention they're forced to deal with on a day to day basis, and some deal with it better than others. You right. know, but I, I think there has to be more people telling the stories of the people who are like a Rob Schneider who yeah. just like imagine that how many people like if you see Rob Schneider he's so recognizable he's yeah. one of, he's a celebrity you know that oh that's Rob Schneider and I'm sure that happens to him all the time and yet he can still kind of be that guy and and not just be like oh fuck here here we go again yeah and I, by the way I don't blame some of these people for thinking that I see it like you know people are really funny with people they get starstruck they just go interrupt them when they're doing something with their that, family yeah. that shit's that would drive me nuts. It would drive me nuts. So sometimes when we hear about a celebrity handling something wrong, I get it. And I'm like, you know, 
like to see you make it right because the person didn't have bad intentions who led you to do that. But I get it. I just don't. You know, something like the Dave Matthews thing is fucked up. I'm sorry. That's like, how can you like? You're me. an approachable guy. Like, how can you just slapping the phone out of the hand and seeing your phone break in front of other reporters too? They're just like, oh, sorry, dude. That's just that was a dick move on his part. Some guy told me you'll like this. My buddy's dad, after I finished college, was living up in North Jersey, and he lived up there, and I knew him a little bit. He's like, yo, let's go out to dinner. And I was like, oh, this is great. This guy can give me advice. He's very successful. So we were talking, and he gave me some great advice that night. But I asked him at some point one of the stereotypical questions. Like, I think this one was something along the lines of, "What? how did you get people to take you seriously mm. in your 20s and build a business like you did? Because he was very successful from almost the jump. And he said, you know, it's funny you say that because I was sitting at a dinner was someone who had a similar age difference between you and me at the time, who was like me back, me now yeah. to you. And I asked him the same thing. And he said to me, Rob, every person you're sitting across from, I don't care if they're male, female, hot, ugly, rich, poor, without getting graphic, just remember that they take a shit too. Mm-hmm. And they do it the same way you do. <laughs> And I was like, damn, so I don't picture people taking a shit, but like right. I remember we're all just people in this world for a limited amount of time. Some have more attention than others, but like at the end of the day, the same yeah. type of neurons wire us and that's just what it is. It kind of goes back to chasing your passions. Like if you are passionate about being a garbage man and that fulfills you, great, awesome. Like that's the true version of yourself where – Slash goes on to be one of the greatest guitarists of all time in rock and roll, Guns N' Roses. Again, a huge public figure, famous guy. He chose to pursue that because he's passionate about it and it paid off for him. That doesn't make him better than you and I. No. no. Just because he has more Instagram followers than us, that doesn't make him better. Just because his bank account is bigger than us, doesn't make him better. He he chose to live the life he wanted and it paid off for him. And kudos to him, you know? This sad example, I, I think we were talking about this before we went on camera, but... You were bringing up like Kurt Cobain in here, and it's like, you know, we see it now. He killed himself, and he was he was a depressed, tortured guy, which is so sad because he was so talented. So many people loved him, but like, I love that picture in here because that's when Kurt Cobain was happy. Yeah, he gave him a cigarette and a guitar. That's his World, element. He's in his pocket. Ele- exactly, he's in his element. That was when he was happy, and I think his thing was he. You know, we made him out to be this guy where it's like there's him and then to use the example we were just using, the trash men and everyone else. And it's like that's not how he wanted it no. to be or saw it. He was just like, I'm just doing what I fucking love to do. That's all he wanted yes. too. Yes. The fame. I I mean that's the – I think that's old, what killed him. That, that's the lore, right? Yeah. That he just couldn't handle being famous. Other people say Courtney Love was another reason. Yeah, I mean I, I, I don't know. I, I do. That's another discussion, but that's yeah. another discussion. I do think that the first one, I can't speak on the second one. I'm right. not nearly knowledgeable enough what was going on there, but I think the first one, looking back on it, was, was a big part of it. And I, I worry about it with some great people who I respect in, in pop culture because I, I can see similar signs. And I, I hope that like society is at a point where we have the ability to reassure those people that, like, hey, you are. There's a reason we look up to you and you're important and you do so much good here. Right. Stay with us. And a lot of people loved him. 
Yeah. So like that's difficult. Like how do you get inside like Dave Grohl, the drummer for Nirvana at the time, now Foo Fighters, face of rock and roll. Nice known to be the nicest guy in rock and roll. The fact that he didn't kind of rub off on that around being Kurt for as long as he was, three, four years, however long Nirvana was around in the early nineties, like that I think speaks volume too. That, what, do you, what do you mean rub off? You know, like surrounding yourself with happy people who bring great positive happy vibes all the time and you still are that tortured on the inside some of these great people man they and i'm not saying kurt's an interesting one i don't know if i could say this for sure about kurt so i won't other people i could i've used an example of robin williams before that def, oh, definitely for what i'm about universally to say. loved but that's the point they live to make other people very happy and they never make themselves happy. And they don't think they... It, I don't even want to say they don't think they deserve it. But it's like they are so busy taking care of all of us that they don't take care of themselves. Well, that was one of his most famous quotes, too. He's like, I make sure that everyone involved in my life is happy because I know what it's like to feel worthless on the inside. Robin Williams said that? Yeah. No shit. When did he hey, say you've never that? seen that quote no. either? You're learning a lot today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one of his most That's famous scary. quotes. I just got like goosebumps I th with you saying it, that. It, it, came, it became well more knowledgeable after he died. You know, Are we sure but, he said that or that was like an Instagram quote that got attributed to no, him? No, he actually said he, that. He said that in an interview. I, I don't know what year it was. It was in the early 2000s, I believe. Well, there you go. You're probably going to have to fact check that. Yeah, but, we'll, we'll go find that in a minute when we're done, but... That's, I mean, I can't, that's exactly what I'm getting at, you know, and, and I have, and like a guy like that, we've heard a lot of anecdotes about what a cool guy he was. Like yeah. he was the Rob Schneider, like at all times, like yeah. that dude. And it's just so. It's hard to be on all the time. Yeah, man. And it's, I think about that with some people cause I'm like, I just hope they realize that cause like this is a good person and they're doing a lot of great things and there's a reason they have the attention they do. And like, I hope they don't feel worthless cause they're not. But look, you don't know these people. Yeah. You're not with them. I can't control it. What you can control is that society can give them enough vibes, hopefully. You ever hear Howard Stern's story on Robin Williams? Interviewed him once in his career, and it was in the midst of Howard Stern just being the ultimate shock jock, mm. just jerk of an interviewer. Right? I don't know if I've heard the story, so tell me. Um Basically, he had Robin Williams on his show, and he, he, he self-admittedly today says, I was not prepared for the interview, was not in the right state of mind to do the interview. So he was just being the character, Howard Stern, acting like a jackass, and Robin Williams was just not about it, just asking him inappropriate questions left and right. Robin Williams felt disrespected. I don't know if he walked out of the interview or if just at the end of it, he's like, I'm never coming on this show again. Like, you blatantly disrespected me. And um, I want... Again, that, that was probably in the 90s, early 2000s. Again, we could fact check that. But it was a long period of time when Howard Stern finally became, you know, civilized, you could say. Like, he's still kind of a shock jock. But at the same time, like, he knows he made a lot of mistakes in his life as a young guy in radio now being an older gentleman. That's interesting. And he said that one day he's like, I need to reconcile with Robin Williams and he gave him a call. He didn't answer. He said he left a voicemail. He's like, Robin, I'd love to get together. I'm so sorry for the way I treated you. Like, let's t get together and try and hash things out. And he said that was the day Robin Williams took his own life. 
I have not heard that story. That's some weird universe shit right there. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for Howard Stern. I do. He gets a, you know, he's a little... He said it was one of the biggest regrets in his entire life that he didn't reach out sooner. <sighs> That's crazy, man. I don't know. You don't know that guy. I mean, we, we didn't know him. Nope. But, like, you feel like you did. He's one of those. So, I don't know. But looking at it, taking it a step more personally, there's no reason you shouldn't be saying or thinking the same thing in your own life with people around you. Mm-hmm. And I really try to do that. That is not something that I actively thought about ever. Nope. Even like a few years ago. And then somewhere along the way, maybe it was like getting a little older and understanding a few things and how complex things are. Now I get that urge once in a while. I'm like, oh, you got to call so-and-so. Yeah. How they doing? You know, it's, it's a, it's a very basic thing, but you, by the way, you get a ton out of it personally. You feel really good when you do that. It's not even just like this selfless act. You're selfishly selfless. Yes. And it feels very, it's very yeah. fulfilling. Yes. And it's doing a good thing too, as long as you're present. I mean, you got to be present. Yep. But yeah. you just never know, man. You never know what someone's going through. No. Mm, that's some deep shit, man. That's a good spot to end it. Um, but this this was this was a good convo. You got me wound up today. I'm gonna review this tape and be like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, fact check everything I said. It could be a lie. I could be building my brand. <laughs> you never know. We will. We get some stuff wrong in here. When we notice it, I'll let people know. It's just it's how it is. I always give that disclaimer to people, like, check what we say. Go there's back a, and apologize later. Yeah. Yeah. I I try to get it as accurate as we can when we're in here. So there's never an intent to be wrong i'll yeah. tell you that and i think we get a lot right as far not opinion wise i mean opinions can go any direction but i'm saying like as far as like reporting on things in the context right. of discussion yes. i think we get most things accurate but in the times we don't you know i try to recognize that so i'll check that when we're doing it beautiful all right man well thanks for doing it thank you for having me absolutely good to connect brother all right everybody else you know what it is give it a thought Get back to me.